This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Darcy is home. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Good morning, everyone. Welcome on in as we are broadcasting from the State Street Studio. Right here on ESPN 1000, watching thousands and thousands of people running on just the second or third mile of the 26.2 mile Chicago Marathon. And I see some people walking already. It's a little early. Right, Eric? A little early to be walking? It's going to be a long day if they're walking already. Yes. That's rough. Now, and, and the weather has actually let up a little bit. It is supposed, it is humid out, so that's that's tough for the runners from what I understand, not being a runner myself. Um, but it's not raining really right now, so that's a, that's a good thing because uh, they could have been running. They were worried that with lightning. I don't know if they would have started the race if there was lightning out there. So now they, are, they have started, and... Um, the really good got people will be finished in two and a half hours, three hours, right? They'll be done by the time you're you're eating your brunch. Yeah. So like they're gone. Mm-hmm. So and, and hopefully most of them will be gone so we can get out of here at noon. That'd be that would be a nice thing. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. There may even be some people running right now listening uh to us here on ESPN one thousand. And uh if so, you know, watch for the potholes. This the, the town has done a great job. Just last Saturday. They were repaving State Street here, okay? Uh, they did a really good job making sure that the uh, everywhere that the marathoners were going to run were taken care of, and they fixed the roads and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so hopefully there will be nobody stepping in holes or things like that. We got a lot to talk about. There's no bears today. And I'll just do this because I've done it each and every show I've been on in the last couple of weeks. Buys in the NFL are stupid. Okay, Uh, if you're going to have buys in the National Football League, have them in the middle of the season, not in weeks four and five. Week four, there were two teams on a buy, Washington and uh, Carolina. This week, week five, there are two more teams on a buy, the Bears and the Bucks. Next week, week six, there are two more teams on a buy, the Lions and the Saints. Then there are four teams on a buy in week seven. There are 32 teams in the National Football League. If you just had eight teams on by in week seven, or even eight teams week eight, eight teams week nine, eight teams week 10, eight teams week 11. Boom. Done. Four weeks, you get all the buys out of the way. Instead, they have buys going from week four to week 12. It's stupid. Who needs a buy in week four or week five? Earlier this week, it was... The Bears quarterback or the Bears tight end, Trey Burton, saying this is the absolute worst time for a bye. The Bears have just won three games in a row. 
and now they get to sit around. And he actually went down to the Florida game, the Florida LSU game. He went down and uh, he said he was going to hang with the family and go to a place that had a pool so the kids could swim and uh, before they get back to work as they gear up for the Miami Dolphins. And an interesting thing in their schedule, and Bay- Cub fans, we're in to talk Cubs in- immediately after this, but a, a very interesting thing in the um, Bears' schedule, their next four games are against the AFC East. Their next four games, they play at Miami, then they play New England, the Jets, and then at Buffalo. So think about it. The AFC East... What do you go three and one again? You're six and two, eight games into the season. That'd be a really nice way to start this season for Matt Nagy and Mitchell Trubisky and the Bears. We got a lot of Bears talk converse conversation coming up. We'll get to that uh, a little bit later, probably bottom of the hour. We'll get into some of it. Jesse Rogers will join us at ten o'clock. Just to put a capper on the Cubs season for him and also to get his opinion of the Brewers and the Rockies. He is covering that series when it goes back to Milwaukee. Today, they are in Colorado at Coors Field for game three of that series. So we will talk with him about that series and also his wrap up, some of his thoughts as he, uh, wraps up covering the Chicago Cubs for another season. But, uh, the Cubs season came to an end. It was not the way Cub fans had expected. It was not the way any baseball fan expected. When you lead the National League and wins all the way up until the last game of the season, you're hoping to go a little bit further in uh, the playoffs than the Cubs uh, were able to get. They went into, uh, you know, the, the game 163 and, and then they end up playing the Colorado Rockies and the Cubs offense is just, um, non-existent. Okay. It's just not, it was nowhere to be found. And it's very interesting that it happened at the end. Now, a lot of baseball fans, if you were a baseball fan and not necessarily a Cub Die hard. You probably saw this coming because it had been coming for much of the season. Okay. There were a lot of things that pointed to something's wrong. This team's not clicking. Now the injuries were crazy. Okay. The Chris Bryant injury was, was nuts. Chris Bryant was a shadow of himself. Okay. But Theo Epstein talked earlier this week. He talked about a lot of things. He got to the offense breaking down, but he just said that losing the division to the Brewers, it didn't happen just over the last week or so. I think we all admit in talking to the players, we we all know that we had our chances to put away this division. You know, whether it was, um, you know, things that happened in the first half or um when, when we started to get some momentum, building a bigger lead, or you get to a Labor Day series in Milwaukee, and you just all you have to do is win that series, and you might you know symbolically kind of end it right there, or then you have another crack at Milwaukee, and you can't win that series either, or going five and two instead of four and three down the stretch, those two pirate games during the last homestand will haunt us, or those three games Saturday, Monday, and Tuesday where all you have to do is score two runs, you know, score more than the one, and you got it. And we were thirty-seven and thirteen in the second half when we got the two runs. Or more, and we couldn't do it in those big three games. So this year, it manifested that we had chance after chance to put away the division, and we didn't do it. So we have to own that. So, look, it's not. Uh, I don't think there's a. I don't think there's some sort of fatal flaw at all in the clubhouse. I just think if we're being honest about it, you know, as John Lester said, maybe this will be good for us because if you just show up 
playing it cool, knowing you're talented, knowing it's a long season, and trusting that the talent will manifest over the course of 162. Sometimes you end up one game short. And the Cubs did, unfortunately. Uh, Theo going on to say a lot of other things. He did say we could have done more from day one to day 162 as far as complete sense of urgency every day, being completely on mission every day, showing up with that assertiveness and that edge every day. Uh, but there were often times where they would win the first two of a three-game series and not worry about the last game or may obviously worry about it but not win that game and the longest winning streak of the season was six okay um two out of three ain't bad that's one of the things that you hear a lot from joe madden if you won two out of three games and murph and i did this yesterday if you won two out of three games with 162 you come out to be like 108 108 wins which isn't bad because that's what Boston had. They had 108 wins. So basically, for the whole season, they won two out of three. That's not bad. But it's very, very difficult to do that just winning two out of three. You've got to, you know, sweep a series here, go on a nice eight, nine, ten game winning streak, cut down on some losing streaks, and the offense just completely stopped. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Theo talked about Chili Davis, but he also talked about the offense just basically coming to a stop. So in the second half, we had, we had 50 games in which we scored two or more runs. And our record in those games, when we got to two or more, was 37 and 13. 37 and 13 when you get to two or more runs. So um, it was just, uh, you know, the, 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 the indicators in the second half were... Um, not where we want to be. We we were um, uh, among the the worst in the league at hitting the ball out of the ballpark. You know, our power was way down, way down. Our walk rate was dramatically down. Our OPS was down. Our runs scored were down. We hit more ground balls in the second half than any other team by a, a huge margin. And you know, our our goal is to hit line drives and, and, and fly balls out of the ballpark. Uh, but hit line drives, and we, we hit, I think it was 49.5 or so ground ball rate, and the next closest team was at 47%. You know, so we were just, something happened in our offense in the second half where um, we stopped walking, we stopped hitting home runs, uh, we stopped hitting the ball in the air, and we stopped being productive. And, you know, scoring, you know, not being able to get to two runs, you know, that... You know that many times in the second half is really unacceptable, and you know it really it it it, it sort of tells the story a little bit of the end of our season too. We had those three games Saturday, um, uh, Monday, and Tuesday. Where look, if we win one of those games, we're still playing. And in each of those games, we scored one run with a handful of hits. Yeah, you can't do that. It was it was a shame the way the season came to an end because this is a team that throughout the year when they were scoring, you know, how many times, I hear it all the time, so many times during the course of the year, I hear about run differential. And you know what? The run differentials, you know, you win 10 to 1. Okay, you've got a plus 9 run differential. And a lot of times people say it doesn't matter if you win by one run or by 10 runs as long as you win the game. Well, there were too many games down the stretch. And like he said, 37 and 13 when they scored two runs down the stretch. They just couldn't do it. And when he rattled off 
worst home runs, work the the walk rate, the OPS, more ground balls than any other team in the National League. Theo going on to say there was just something off all year. Javi, for example, you know, talking about hey, you know, in, in some ways we struggled all year, and in some ways something was was off a little bit um, all year, and we never got on that roll. And, and sort of we have to own that, and, and I agree with that. And John Lester bring it in his own way, um, you know, dragging body parts through the dirt, leading to to an acknowledgement of where we are or where we aren't, and that maybe that's a good thing in the long run, and that it'll lead to the universal recognition that nothing will be given to us. And I very much understand those types of sentiments too. Yeah, you got to go on out and earn everything every day. Uh, that's why a lot of times there are fans, Sylvie's one of them, a lot of baseball fans that get worried and, and complain about losing games you shouldn't lose early in the year. And I know it's become a bit of a joke with Cap and the whole relax thing as he stole from Aaron Rodgers. But there, you know, when you lose a game that you should have won, you got to remember that can come back and hurt you. It always does. Every single team that falls short falls short because they lost a game they shouldn't have. They let one get away that they should not have. The good teams don't do that. The good teams win all those games. Now, granted, it's a strange season because they won 95 games. They still won a ton of games. But when you have, there were, ten, there were I think I figured it was at eight or 10. I think there were eight teams this year. That won 90 games or more in all of baseball. Now, that makes a little bit of sense. There were three teams to win 100 in the uh, American League, also three teams to lose 100, including my Chicago White Sox. So, you know, when you're going to be this close, and you know the division's just going to get better, okay? Uh, St. Louis fell off at the end. Pittsburgh's got Chris Archer now. Jameis and Tyon will continue to grow. So this division is just going to get better. Uh, Theo, one of the first things Theo talked about was he does not have a problem with Joe Madden. And there's no friction or tension between Theo and Joe Madden. Patrick Mooney from The Athletic. And again, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, something's wrong. They do great, great coverage, not only in baseball, but also for the NFL, their breakdown of the All-22 and showing you things that you may not see happen in Bears games uh, is just great, absolutely great with uh, Dan Durkin and also Kevin Fishbane. But Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma, they do a great job covering the Cubs. And uh, Patrick Mooney had an article that said, Friction, Tension on Theo, Madden, and the shakeup needed in the Cubs clubhouse. I just got some notes here. Um Theo said in 2017, we didn't show up in the first half of the season. That put us in a five and a half game hole at the all-star break. We had to expend so much energy in the second half to get back on top of the division that we were fried by October. He goes on and says some other things. But in this article, it also brings up a point. Depending on who you're going to blame. You're going to blame, blame Joe. You're going to blame Theo. You're going to blame the players. Um, they bring up in the article, Patrick Mooney says, Hey, Madden didn't invest $185 million in Hugh Darvish and Tyler Chatwood and Brandon Morrow. Madden didn't hire a magician to heal Chris Bryant's left shoulder. Madden hasn't lost the clubhouse. Just maybe don't let Pedro Strope hit for himself next time. Anthony Rizzo is among the many players saying that Joe did a great job uh, managing this team. Epstein acknowledged this long winter will include some self-evaluation 
education and self-awareness for the entire operation. Uh, he also went, They also go on and say, uh, after more than a century of dread and disappointment, it's amazing how comfortable the Cubs are now when their backs are against the wall, expecting to win every crazy one-run extra-inning elimination game. But there's a fine line between not playing uptight and being too casual. Uh, the Cubs are known as a player-first organization with all kinds of amenities and concierge services and state-of-the-art resources that appeal to free agents. Hello, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. But maybe the players are a little too comfortable in their underground clubhouse in the middle of a city that treats professional athletes like kings. Baez says, we love our manager, the way he talks to us, the way he lets us do whatever we want. Um, at the very end, still... Uh, to come out with 95 wins, so impressive. At the end of the day, it's the players, and we just came up short. We were right there. If we get through the game, who knows where we could have gone. It was a very tough season for Cubs fans because you always thought that it was going to get a little better. They were going to be able to do things. The Chris Bryant injury, and Theo was asked about it, and um, some people are wondering surgery. He was not only half the player uh, that he was when he came back after that uh, surgery. And here's what uh, here's what Theo had to say. Actually, when he came off the disabled list, I do not believe he'll need surgery. I haven't got the. Um latest medical update but we're operating on on you know the latest information that he will not and that uh with the uh off season of rest and and getting a a full winter's worth of work in he's going to be 100 percent and and better than ever and i know i know chris is um obviously disappointed in the way this year went with the injuries started off so well in april and into may and then um, you know the head first slide into into first of all things um, really altered the course of his season and he is uh, taking a really I think positive approach to it where he's, he's learned a lot from the time that he missed from you know this is a guy who played every single game in high school I think every single inning in, in college and just about every single game the first three years of his career and this is the first time that he's really dealt with injury and adversity and um, he's challenging himself and we're challenging him to make something positive out of it and I personally believe after you know sitting down with Chris and seeing the way he's handled this year that um, you know he never really got back um, fully to, to, to what he can be but that this is someone that um, will put the work in necessary physically, fundamentally, mentally, all phases um, to have a monster year next year um, with what he learned this year. And I don't think anybody can wait. I mean, if you're a baseball fan and you watched Chris Bryant, it was sad because Chris Bryant did get on base. He'd hit a blooper past the second baseman or over the second baseman's head. But how many times did you see him pull the ball? Okay. He wasn't doing it. And it was not. You know, he, he, it was a shame that he was not able to do what he could do. We'll get to the callers in just a second. 312-332-3776. I asked a question earlier this week. Which Cubs player gets moved in the offseason? And I put it up on ESPN 1000. And um, I had Kyle Schwerber, Albert Almora, Ian Happ, or all of them. 38% was the most... Uh, highest percentage, and it was all of them. 
37% said Kyle Schwarber. 23% said Ian Happ, and only 2% said Albert Almora. But 38% said move all of them. And one other thing when it comes to offense, and one thing you hear Joe say for the last two or three years, Joe has said this. Joe Madden says, we just need guys to move the ball around. Okay, too many times they're out there swinging for home run or nothing, and I know that's the way baseball's going. Okay, uh, more strikeouts than hits this year in Major League Baseball. So many times you've seen these games, the playoff games the other day. There were three teams the other day struck out ten times in the game. It's too much for a playoff game. Okay, here's what Jed Hoyer had to say on launch angles. Okay, said everyone believes in home runs. I think where it gets lost is playing the game offensively, being willing to change your swing to not strike out in a big spot is really important. There are players that don't do that. And that's not only talking about Cubs players. There's players all around baseball. How many times do you want a guy just to put his bat on the ball? I mean, you see Anthony Rizzo choke up and punch the ball somewhere over a second baseman's head. Unfortunately, that second baseman's usually 30 yards out into, uh, or 30 feet out into right field. Let's grab a call or two before we take a break. Let's go first to Nashville and Carl. Carl, you're on ESPN 1000. What's going on? Well, I, I tell you, I don't really have much problems with, uh, with, with Joe's approach at managing. Sometimes a little unorthodox, um, but, but it's worked. You know, it, it you know, three, uh, straight years in the NLCS championship game, uh, you know, right there at winning another division. I have no problem with that. The problem that I have with the Cubs organization that they have to address is we, we they can't keep coming up with this year in and year out different guy the closer. They have to go out, get them a guy that's going to be – because we have no identity – at the closing position because it's a different guy every year. It's just like they keep trying to mix and match. And what they need to do is trade some of the assets. They have a lot of assets. Like, you know, you're talking about with Schwarber and App right. and all those guys. They have a lot. They need to go out, uh, shoot up the bullpen, and they need to get them a closer that's going to be there for the next five, six years. This closer by next guy up, it, 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 it has really cost them – I think more than anything over the last couple of years. You know, and Carl, I appreciate the call. They tried to do that this year to get Brandon Morrow to be their closer. And then he got hurt. Brandon Morrow, if you looked at it, had a history of injuries. He's been hurt over the last several years. So Brandon Morrow may not have been the right guy to pick up. They've always thought Carl Edwards could develop into that role. And he hasn't been able to do that. We saw during the course of the year things got worse. And Pedro Strope is a guy that's had to fill it. We'll talk a little more Cubs. We come back. Get to the callers. 312-332-3776. Freddie Uppner with you here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Uppner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Got some baseball talk. We're going to get into some uh, Bears since they have... uh, the bye week. I expressed my disdain for that earlier this hour. Um, we will talk about an article that was on ESPN asking, is the Bears offense for real? And uh, we'll get into that, get into a lot of other stuff. We've got some 
sound from uh, a lot of NFL action that's going to be taking place today. Packers play the Lions, Vikings, and Eagles. Uh, an interesting uh, matchup. Uh, just a little note on that game uh, from uh, my buddy, my pal, um, Andrew Siciliano, who if you have DirecTV, you probably watch him on the Red Zone, and I will be doing that later on today. The Vikings and the Eagles will be the first conference title game rematch with new quarterbacks in 19 years. The Jets and Broncos, uh, the 1998 AFC championship game had Testaverde and Elway. In 99, the teams rematched with Rick Meyer and Greasy. Okay. Now you will have different quarterbacks because obviously the Vikings and Eagles, you have Kirk Cousins and you have Carson Wentz. Wentz was out last year and um, so he was not quarterbacking the Eagles. So it'll be interesting. It's one of the better games of the day. It's actually on Fox uh, later on today after the Packers and the Lions, so you get to see the NFC North games on uh, regular over-the-air TV, which is a rarity nowadays. Let's get back to the phones, talking some Cubs baseball before Jesse Rogers' top of the hour. Let him put a cap around the uh, Cubs coverage and also talk about the Brewers and the Rockies series, which continues today. Let's go to Riles and Gridley. Riles, how are you today? Doing good, Freddie. Thanks for taking my call, and great show. Thank you. What's um, up? Uh, first off, uh, I, I would agree. I just have a couple of things to say. First off, I agree with what, uh, uh, Jed Hoyer was saying about, uh, people overswinging and not taking the Rizzo approach when there's two strikes. Uh, number one on the Cubs with that, although he's a great talent and I like him, even as a Cardinal fan, I like him. Uh, uh, it's Baez. Baez was overswinging his last, uh, at bat when the, when the Cubs went down and, uh, were taken out of the playoffs. Yeah. The other thing is, I think the main reason, I don't know if they're going to admit this, that Bill uh, ha- might have a problem with Madden is because he's making so much money. Uh, the fact is that the, the trend is going to lower paid managers, and I think it might get to be an ego thing. I don't think you're going to see Madden say, okay, I'll take a pay cut, um, but they, they probably feel deep in their hearts that uh, – this team could win without Madden as a manager, even though I feel he's very, very good tactically and uh, the way that he massages egos and is able to play everyone. And that will be an even harder thing this year if the Cubs are able to come up with Harper, which they can because they can just print money and, and they can they can pay money to whoever they want, but then it becomes a, a tough job to juggle all the people's uh, positions and playing time. Do you think when you said cheaper managers, are you talking about guys like Aaron Boone and Alex Cora that are uh, guys that they just come out and they don't have experience and they hire them for lesser amounts? That's exactly right. And the, and the guy from uh, Los Angeles isn't making that much either. And and Dave Roberts, what are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, and Joe Madden's a guy, and we appreciate the call, Riles. Uh, Joe Madden's a guy that uh, is making the money. A lot of people, and I, I don't want to get into much about the way I feel about managers. I mean, you know, you look at the American League playoffs and the, the top two teams, 108 wins and 100 wins were the Red Sox and the Yankees. And I don't think that Alex Cora and Aaron Boone had anything to do with those teams winning uh, 108 and 100 games. And I've said many, many times, uh, that I think managers, you know, their, their decision making on pitching changes is important. Other than that, you know, 
the uh, atmosphere in the clubhouse. Well, that's something that they, when Theo and Jed took over, they said they were trying to build a Cubs way and things like that. They start that down in the minor leagues, and as they come up, um, I think one of the advantages they had this year was the guys that did come up and help, like a David Bodie. What Bodie did when he came up was amazing uh, for them. They also got some great pitching. Um, despite the fact that Chatwood and Darvish weren't there, their starting pitching is what saved them the second half of the season. When they were not scoring runs, their starting pitching was going out and doing a whale of a job. Um, there was there were things like the last four, I don't know if you knew this, the last four postseason starts for uh, John Lester with the Cubs. Uh, he's got a 177 ERA, and the teams are 0-4. Okay? Uh, the pitchers do it. The hitters have just not done it. The last two postseasons, uh, the Cubs bats against starters, 171, relievers, 153, righties, 138, lefties, 196, with men on, 157, bases empty, 168, with nobody out, 155, with one out, 175, and with two outs, 162. 40 times this year, the Cubs scored one or no runs. They tied with the Baltimore Orioles, the worst team in baseball, with that stat, with that number. Uh, it's amazing a team that had so much offensive power could not put up more runs. And again, if I keep hearing about this, you know, um, you know, the run differential. It, 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 to me, it never means anything. I never, ever, ever look at run differential. Uh, when I look at the standings, I never look at it. I know there are people out there that love analytics who are probably laughing at me right now. I don't care. It doesn't mean anything. It just means that in games you won, you beat teams by a lot. Okay? And that doesn't matter because when it came down to the stretch, the Cubs didn't beat teams by – they didn't score runs. They could not score runs. Let's go to Burr Ridge and Don. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Don. Hey, love the, love the show all the time. Uh, uh, good points all the time. Thank you. Um, those numbers that you numbers that you just um, read about the offense is horrendous. Hey, um, I, I'm calling about the relief pitching and what a caller said that the Cubs should try to trade for a relief pitcher, a closer, can be around for five years. Number one, how many relief pitchers in the beginning of 2018 closers were closers at the end of the year? Very, very little. Number two is how how many of those guys that will be around for five years are available? And Kimbrough and, and Jansen are two of the top guys, but who says they're going to be around for five more years? And you're never going to get them. No, they, those are those uh, are about the only two guys, too. Those are the two guys that I was thinking about when you just mentioned that there aren't many of them out there. Yeah, um, even uh, Diaz from Seattle had a sickening good year, but last year he lost his job for a little bit because of how he pitched. Um, Treenan from Oakland, he's exactly what the Cubs do. They go out to and... and Target a guy that they think they can be a closer. They get him for a lesser price or a lesser trade. Turn him into closer. Cubs have done excellent jobs putting in closers. Second thing in regards to that, yeah, Moreau got injured. That was a chance the Cubs took because of the history. But they had stroke that could have filled in extremely well. But he got injured. I see the biggest issue with the Cubs' relief corps is the over pitching of them. Yeah. And that's the issue that I have with Madden, uh, with his, his coaching ability. There's a lot of good about it, but that's the thing that drives me nuts as a fan. Don't you think, don't you think, Don, that they used Seashack? Uh, See, without Morrow, Seashack is a guy that could have closed, but they didn't use him in that role. They used him more in a, you know, a sixth or seventh inning role as opposed to a closer role. 
you could have put a couple guys. I, I mean, when Edwards is going strong, yeah. he could be a closer. Right. But I don't think he has it mentally to be a closer. I, I, I remember in Game 7 of the World Series, he was peeing his pants out there, it looked like. I swear to God, I'm like, he's scared. He ain't, he, get him out of there. That's why Montgomery went in for that last out, right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Don, appreciate the call as always. Thanks. Let's grab one more call before we take a break. Let's go to uh, let's go to Buffalo Grove and Peter. You're on ESPN 1000. Hey, Peter. Hey, Fred. How are you, buddy? Going well. What's up? Well, I just first of all, I, I you're, you're right on. I, I guess what I would say is, is just to pile on is this offense has been uh, masquerading as a good offense for at least two years. I've been screaming about it. You cannot, and I've been playing baseball my whole life. You cannot have guys that, that they go up there swinging for the fences, no idea about runners in scoring position, no idea how to move anybody over, no no discipline to do anything but swing for the fences. And and that is what puts the pressure on your middle relief and your starting pitching and your manager because these guys don't care enough and are not disciplined enough to put a major league uh, pitcher who's, who's at least above average at any risk at all. And I just think that until they very much changed the base of this offense, and I don't care who goes, we have got to get a team that scraps, that fights, that knows how to hit the ball the other way, you know, except for, you know, one or two guys. And, and I think then, you know, the, 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 the sins of the, of the bad uh, pitching options that they've taken and, and the pressure they put on themselves and the piling on, on uh, Madden will all be lessened because guys are just going to, you know, their first year in the run that they made, they always made pitchers pitch, and they were known for, for taking the most pitches. Where has that gone, and why can't a major league hitter, you know, get the ball the other way when, when you're in a playoff against a guy who's a Cy Young candidate? Yeah, I mean, no, Peter, Peter, I agree with you. Being an old-time baseball guy, and you say you played the game a lot, and I think a lot of people that played the game feel the same way as you. But look at the teams that are out in the playoff. Look at, did you watch the Yankee game yesterday? It was all home run or nothing. The game, night before, it was a three-run homer from J.D. Martinez in the first inning. Otherwise, they weren't going to win. Last night, it was Sanchez with two homers. Uh, in, in The Rockies are going home. They're expecting home runs. The Dodgers have won with home runs. Unfortunately, it, it is home run or nothing. And I, I think all the players are looking at it and seeing that that's the only way you win games. And everyone's talking launch angle and hitting the ball. And with exit velocity, they want the ball up in the air. And I think as long as they do that, you're going to continue to see a lot of strikeouts and teams, guys not advancing runners and not playing the basics of the game, just waiting for that two or three run homer. I don't like it, but I just think it's the way it's going all around baseball. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's unfortunate, and and it's putting pressure. I I guess the Cubs are just not a team that 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 makes that connection. And there's too many people. You know, I can't you know stand watching Javier Baez when he's not hitting his 33 home runs. The rest of the at bats, the people he leaves on base, uh, Chris Bryant. Uh, there's just too many uh, to to name. The whole team is culpable for not being able to put the ball in play. Yeah, and I think Joe has said that throughout. Peter, the last two years, Joe says they got to move the. We've got to move the ball around. He says that it's a phrase he uses so often, and they didn't do that this year. They didn't do it in the second half, especially. And as a result, despite ninety-five wins, they're home watching the playoffs. And again, I love baseball, but 
I just rattled it off. The Dodgers win with home runs. The Yankees win with home runs. The Red Sox win with home runs. Um, Yelich with a home run. You had Moustakis uh, driving in some runs. The Astros win with home runs. It, it's it, it's almost an epidemic, but that's the way all baseball wins right now. The whole game has changed. I'm not a fan of the way it's changed. Um, and you either change with it or you don't. And uh, it, it's very difficult because I think the Cubs are going to have to do it. And I know the White Sox on the other side, they're building, looking to build up pitchers uh, and, and get some hitters. Uh, hopefully all those guys can hit the long ball because that's the way the game's going. We'll get back to a couple more calls before the top of the hour after this on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Well, I was going to talk a little bit of baseball and then get into some Bears, but uh, we've got a lot of baseball, a lot of people interested in talking about what happened to the Cubs this season. Buster Olney from ESPN said at the very end, the Cubs, he thought, looked tired. When you looked at some of what was going on with their pitching staff with Pedro Strope, who's been one of the best relievers out down the stretch, Brandon Morrow out down the stretch, no production out of Hugh Darvish, no production out of Tyler Chatwood, I... Actually, as the postseason began, I, I couldn't imagine a way that the Cubs could get through it because they were so banged up and there were so many issues going on. I think he's right about that, and we uh, tie that in with uh, our caller, Mike in Willow Springs. Mike, what's going on? <laughs> well, I'm going to echo Buster only stole my thunders a little bit. Uh, uh, two quick points. Um, first of all, um, it's well documented about the moral injury pitching three days in a row, yeah. and, and that was problematic. Now, knowing he sends Pedro Strope up the bat. Now, here's my issue. I'm sitting on the couch with my wife prior to the at-bat saying, what in the H-E-L is he doing? This guy is their ace, you know, best reliever. He doesn't bat. Right. So I said it beforehand. I was worried about him getting hit on the hand or wrist, okay? I didn't see the hamstring coming, but nonetheless, sure. he gets hurt. He's out for the rest of the year. And after the game, Joe says, Never crossed my mind that he could get hurt. <laughs> That's what you're paid to Yeah. Now, I'm very grateful. He brought a World Series here. I'll forever be grateful. But in this particular situation, you got to call it for what it is. And that, that was a screw-up. And, and, and it cost them. And the second point, and, and this is I'm going to echo Buster only, I, I was fortunate to pitch in college with the Colorado Rocky pitching coach, Steve Foster. Uh-huh. I'm very familiar with Tyler Chatwood. I was excited about the signing because Chatwood's splits away from Colorado right. were very good. Here's the problem. He's never been a great control pitcher, but he was horrendous. Why did Joe keep running him out there and burn the bullpen? And I'm not talking about April. I'm talking about May. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he totally, you know, if, if someone, if another starter had a bad start before or after him, you're getting two, three innings and, and you're relying on your bullpen for, for five, six, you know, a couple days in a row. And that's just a bad, bad, bad recipe. And he, he just kept throwing them out there. Yeah, he did. Uh, he was in the rotation. Let me add one more thing about Morrow. The thing that got me, and I didn't even look at this that much when he signed. I knew he had he was hurt a little bit. He had 35 appearances this year. He had 45 last year. Before that, he had 18. 
He had five and 15. He had 13 appearances in 2014. He had 10 appearances in 2013. He constantly has been getting hurt. So I don't think any of us should, should be surprised. It's tough to rely on a guy like that who pitched every game of the World Series to come in and, and you expect him to be your number one closer, a guy who you're going to end up throwing, what, 70 times? You threw him 35 and, and, and he got hurt as it was. Yeah, well, I'll give you my feedback on that. You're, you're obviously correct that Morrow has had an injury history, and they the, the Dodgers burned him just like we burned Chapman, right? Right. right. Okay? But that being said, unlike the rest of uh, Cub Nation, I'm a huge Pedro Stroke fan. Why? Look at his whip, four years running, in the, in the low ones, 102, 103, 105. Look at his strikeout-to-walk ratio, three-and-a-half to one. It, it, you know, every reliever is going to have a meltdown here, here and there. But overall, you look at the numbers the last four years, Pedro Strope is right up there. So I didn't have a problem with the moral signing because you always have to say it's relative. Who else could they have got? Right. You know. Yeah, they and, couldn't get uh, Jansen. They couldn't get Jansen, right. no. So, right. I mean, you know, you they did what they could. They they had to add strike throwers. We know that. And Cishik, as you mentioned, could close. Um, he's not a huge strikeout pitcher, but he throws strikes. So I was happy with what uh, Theo did in the offseason in regards to Morrow and Cishik and uh, getting rid of uh, who was the guy with Houston uh, um, this year that uh, – wasn't very good for the Cubs last year. Yeah, uh, I can't remember the name right now. It'll come to us. Mike, I appreciate the call. We appreciate it, as always. We come back. Jesse's going to jump on in for a few minutes to wrap up the Cubs and also talk Brewers and Rockies as they continue their series, this time in Coors Field later on today. Fred Hubner with you on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day. Deep to left field, and it is there. Chicago's game day. He is at the wall. He leaps. He got it. He got it. Alvarez. It's a triple play for the Sox. Base is loaded. Base is clean. This is Chicago's game day. Only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. Fred Hubner with you till 12 noon. A lot of football talk coming up. Is the Bears offense for real? We talked a lot in the first hour about the Cubs and uh, Theo's press conference as the Cubs are watching the playoffs as the rest of us are also. And uh, they continue today with the two National League games. Yesterday, the American League uh, had two of their games. The uh, Yankees belting the ball all over the place in Fenway, and they get a win. They Even that series at one. And uh, the Astros get some great pitching from Garrett Cole. And uh, they have a uh, 2 nothing lead in their series over uh, Cleveland. Uh, the American League takes the uh, day off. Before we get to Jesse, I just wanted to mention, on the Sports Center updates, um, they keep mentioning that the winningest college coach passed away. They didn't say where he coached. His name's John Gagliardi. Uh, he, the G may be silent, maybe Gagliardi. Um, but he was a football coach, uh, if I'm not mistaken, St. John's University in Minnesota from 1953 to 2012. Unbelievable. He had the most career wins, 489 among college football coaches. Before he went to St. John's, uh, he was actually at Carroll College in uh, Montana. 
Um, but 91 years old, and um, I'm pretty sure that's the coach that uh, she's talking about. And uh, so, yeah, it's a you know nice long, nice long life, nice long career, and uh, nice numbers being the winningest coach in uh, college football. Fred Hubner with you talking some more baseball, and we talk baseball. We love going to our guy Jesse Rogers. Jesse, how are you today? I'm good, Fred. Good morning. You know, we I talked a lot in the first hour. We talked with you yesterday when uh, we were on with Murph talking about the Cubs and what happened and things like that. I just wanted to get, since you were with them, I mean, obviously, you were with Kyle Schwarber, heck, before uh, you know spring training even started. And then you went all through spring training and the regular season and, um, you know, until it ended earlier this week. I just want to get a couple of final thoughts from you about, uh, you know, what you thought about this season. There's been a lot talked about, obviously, uh, but I just want to get, since you're there all the time, some things that you had to, maybe on your mind, you know, it's just time to just talk about some things that you may have had, and I got some questions for you, too, and also, before we go, I want to ask you about the Brewers-Rocky series, which fortunately, or unfortunately, I don't know, you don't have to go to Colorado, but you're waiting for the series to come back to uh, Milwaukee, or at least the next series when it comes back to Milwaukee, but I just want to get your spin on some, some ideas and some thoughts you had wrapping up this season with the Cubs? Yeah, I mean, just a couple. Um, you know, we always focus on what happened at the end, uh, but as you've pointed out, I've seen you on Twitter mention, you know, early season wins are just as important. And if you recall, early on, you know, we thought, especially in spring training, we thought this team really could have a big year with the additions that they had. Now, a lot of people were talking about a 2016 type of vibe. I never thought that. I never felt that because 16 was about you know, the monkey on the back, you know, right. the elephant in the room, the 108 years. You can never get that sort of motivation back. Um, so I, it was a great vibe, and, and the vibe was different in the sense that they had a little bit longer off season. the hangover was over, all that stuff. Uh, but early on, it, they, didn't, they weren't able to have a, a great start because of their starting pitching. So Darvish was a part of that. Chatwood was a part of that. Part of that. Uh, even Hendricks was a part of that. Now Lester was great early on. So you have to recall that uh, starting pitching was bad early, and their offense was bad late. Um, and why was their offense so bad in the second half? I don't know. I don't know. I saw the same things that Jed and Theo saw that forced them to go get Daniel Murphy. They knew that this was longer than just a weak slump. And remember, they had some slumps in the first half offensively, but I always felt like it was coming. It was there. They, they would always rebound really well. In the second half, they weren't rebounding the same way. So here's Daniel Murphy, provides a little bit of a bump, but even he comes back down to earth, and the offense sort of reverts back to what it was right after the All-Star break. Not very good. And that continued all the way through the end of the season. And the one thing, you know, going back to Theo, uh, again, I dismiss not all of it, but I dismiss some of it. You know, some of the, the, the relentless talk, the edge talk, okay, there's some something to that. Like I said, you, you, they didn't have the same motivation in 16. They had a different motivation, but you're never going to feel that again. You're never going to feel like that climbing that mountain again. But you can certainly, you know, you're paid a good buck to – to win games, even if you haven't won a, you know, if even if you have won a World Series two years earlier, if you know what I mean. Right. But here's what I'm getting at: this this edge that they lost, this relentlessness they didn't have. To me, it boils down to like seven position players, because you can't tell me down the stretch the pitching staff was really good. The bullpen was doing everything it could. Right. I mean, it was kind of gas, but they were they were surviving. The starting staff was really good once they added Hamels and you know moved Chatwood out and everything else. 
So I, I don't think the pitching staff lost any edge. I don't think Rizzo lost any edge. I don't think Baez lost any edge. Um, I, I wouldn't think Tommy LaStella did. He led the, the league in pinch hits. Um, I'm just going name by name. Right. Victor Caratini was a backup. He didn't, so what are we talking about? Who lost their edge? If you really want to break it down, I don't know. Contreras, Schwarber, Hap, is it losing your edge? Or is it just being bad hitters? And maybe they go hand in hand. But I still feel like Theo's press conference could have been boiled down to five to seven minutes of seven guys didn't hit. I don't know why. Right. We have to figure that out. So a lot of that other stuff to me was water, water under the bridge. There might, there might be some truth to it here and there, you know, uh, in terms of the two out of three that he talked about. You know, maybe they did mail it. In. I don't know. But if you really want to boil down the second half, about six to seven guys forgot how to hit a baseball, Fred. And that, to me, is the storyline of the season because, you know, a lot of guys have slow starts in the first half. I'm not going to blame the starting pitching in April for what happened, you know, in, in August, September, and October, you know, the, the two days they played. So, to me, that, that's what it boils down to. If, if someone lost an edge, it's about five or six or seven hitters, or they just simply forgot to hit, and we don't know why. The the Jed Hoyer comment that I read uh, with everybody believes in home runs. He's talking about launch angle. Everybody believes yeah. in home runs. I think where it gets lost is playing the game offensively. Being willing to change your swing to not strike out in a big spot is really important. There are players that don't do that. And, you know, when I think of that, immediately I think of a guy like Rizzo who does do it. He chokes up. He'll poke the ball the other way and things like that. Now, he strikes out his share, too, at times, but not nearly as much as some of the other guys who don't seem to make any adjustments. And and it's a whole thing, unfortunately. We had a caller last hour. You know, the game's changed. Every playoff game I'm watching, the team that hits the most home runs wins. Yeah, that's why that's something they're they're investigating right now. The, the changes they made offensively. I mean, John Maley was sort of the perfect hitting coach for for getting the most home runs out of players. But their situational hitting wasn't great. We complained about that. Let's not forget. Right. We complained a lot about situational hitting with this team. So they went the other direction. A guy that's sort of an expert in situational hitting that was very good at it as a switch hitter for 19 years. And they actually got better. They got better at moving the ball to the opposite field, but they lost some power, just like the Red Sox did. Now, we don't know if it's coincidental or not. It doesn't seem like it. So I guess maybe maybe they went... Maybe they were too home run happy one year, and they were too situational hitting happy the other year, and maybe there's a middle ground to be found there. And um, I think that that's probably what they're looking at right now. How do we tell our players if the if the home run is there to be hit, take it. If the pitcher serves up a cookie, take right. it. But if there's a guy on third and less than two outs, even Javi Baez, right? I mean, he's the poster child for that kind of stuff. Sure, you know, shorten your swing. Um, they, they, the best offenses are the combination of them both. I didn't watch the Boston Red Sox game in and game out, but they seem to have a nice combination of things going, right? Yeah. Uh, the home runs, Yankees as well, situational hitting. You know, they had a little bit of everything going. Um, maybe in two, the span of two years, the Cubs went to one extreme to the other, and they need to find some middle ground. I, I think they wanted to find that middle ground uh, all year, and it just never uh, really materialized. So. Maybe they need another year, but I don't think they're just going to wait and you know uh, rest on 
rest on their laurels and hope that it happens. I think they're going to try to you know shake things up a little bit. Well, and there's another team too. I mean, the the Houston Astros. I mean, I'm not sure how much of it has to do with the ballpark they play in, but I mean, in the the first playoff game, they were just melting the ball out of the park. I mean, they, I think they hit four or five home runs yesterday. They hit one home run and then they got a double that drove in a couple of runs and they they survived. They got a a win against a pretty good pitching staff in uh, Cleveland after they knocked Kluber out in the first game. So that's an interesting series. But all, all the even the Yankees, you know, Sanchez hit two yesterday and Judge hit one and and they win the game. And that's you know it's a shame. And I had Eric look it up and I knew what the numbers. I knew the numbers were higher um, hits to strikeouts this year. Uh, hits 41,018, strikeouts 41,207. So this is the first year ever there's been yeah. uh, more strikeouts than hits. And, you know, it seems like they don't care about it. it. You know, the launch angle comes into play, and I understand all that kind of stuff. But every once in a while, you you got to be able to – and Joe says it. How many times have I brought it up with you? How many times Joe says it during the course of the year, not only this year but last year? they got to move the ball around. They can't just swing for the fences. And, unfortunately, when they get in their slumps, usually in the middle of the year, that's what happens. Yeah, but see what we're talking about? We're talking two different things. So you just mentioned basically it's been a home run yeah. hitting type of, 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 of playoffs, at least in the American League. We should also mention we've, – we've mentioned the Red Sox, the Yankees, and, and the Astros – I mean, look at the NL. There aren't that many well, dynamic offenses. Look at Colorado when they're not at Coors Field. Yeah. They're god-awful. Um, the Atlanta Braves, who uh, hit very well yet. at home as well, god-awful on yeah. the road right now. So here's the bottom line, and I don't know the if we know the answer right now. Should you be thinking winning games by home runs even in October, which was usually not a thing, you know, or should it be about this move-the-ball type of offense because you know in October you face good pitching, you may not hit home runs. I don't know the answer right now. I always thought it was the second thing. Situational hitting in October is the way to go. But, in fact, when the Cubs have done well, um, not every game, but they've hit yeah. a lot of home runs. They go yeah, back they to have. 15 against the Cardinals. Now, in 16, see, 16 is a great example. They had it every which way they wanted during the season and the playoffs. I mean, the comeback against the Giants – Right, that was about moving the ball. Uh, the, a lot of the other, you know, the, of the playoffs was the home runs. Game seven, David Ross, Dexter Fowler. There were home runs, but then again, in the tenth inning, it was Schwarber moving the ball. So in sixteen, they had it all. In 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 seventeen, you know, they had it during the regular season. Didn't really have it in the playoffs in either way. And then in eighteen, they lost power, but were a little bit better situational. So. I think the key is to try to find the ability to do both, like we're seeing in the American League right now. But, of course, you know, they play 162 with a DH, and the American League is always known as a better offensive league. But in the NL, it was, it was sort of a weird year offensively. I think maybe there's one reason why nobody pulled away. And we're, we're seemingly every series we're talking about how good the opposing pitching is. It wasn't just the Cubs talking about it. Other teams would talk about it as well. So... Um, strange, strange numbers, strange, strange era that we're watching baseball yeah. in. But I think it still comes down to trying to be as dynamic as you can. Hit the home run when the pitcher serves it up. Go the other way when that when that pitch is served up that way. And with men on third and less than two outs, shorten up the swing and get that run home. I think you want it all. I know Joe wants it all, sure. Fred. But you, but it, maybe in this day and age you can't have it all. And that goes back to the launch angle thing. If you can't have it all, the one thing you can count on is the shift can't catch a home run. You know what I mean? And I think that's what these left-handers, a lot of them are thinking. I may as well hit out of the ballpark because everybody's stacked over to that side. I can't get it through the shift anyway. 
And uh, that's where we we become as a league here, home run happy. Well, that's what Big Poppy did. I mean, in Boston, his last year, he knew the shift was so bad he had hit the ball out of the park, and he did. Uh, maybe you just need, you know, your guys that maybe you have to have like designated home run hitters, guys that are going to do nothing but swing for the fences. I mean, uh, there's a couple in baseball. Joey Gallo does nothing but swing for the fences each and every single time up. But and then there are other guys who can do both. I mean, Chris Bryant can do both. Anthony Rizzo can do both. Uh, Javi Baez can do both at times, uh, right. you know, when, when he's pitched. But I don't want to see it necessarily Albert Almora or Jose can, or um, Wil, uh, Wilson Contreras being the home run or nothing guy. I think that's what happened to Contreras late in the season. Hey, close your eyes. I know you're not in the car. This will bring back a good memory. You may have seen this already. Chris Kamka posted this 17 minutes ago. Um, three years ago today, Jake Arrieta pitched the one-game wild card for the Cubs. The performance remains the only complete game shutout with no walks and 10 strikeouts plus in Major League Baseball postseason history. Wow. I mean, I remember it vividly yeah. because I will tell you, it uh, the atmosphere in Pittsburgh mimicked Game 7 of the World Series. It, for whatever reason, that was as intense as it comes. I, I mean, I, not for whatever reason. I think we know it's a one-game elimination, the first time the Cubs have been in the playoffs in a while. So, But, but the, those Pittsburgh fans showed up, and there were some Cub fans there yeah. as well. It was really, really loud. And then the other thing I remember is the celebration afterwards. That, that was insane. Again, uh, rivaled the World Series celebration. They, they tore up that Pittsburgh visiting locker room. First playoff win, you know, you know in, with that group and everything. So, of course, they didn't pop champagne this year. So <laughs> next year they got a party twice as hard. Amazing. I don't think I've ever seen a playoff team not celebrate getting to the postseason. But that's how strange the end of the year was for the Cubs. Yeah, it was pretty weird. Uh, you've been covering the Brewers series. Obviously, they are in uh, Colorado now, the Miller Coors series. And uh, it wasn't necessarily home runs, but I was railing yesterday and ranting and raving about uh, these bullpen games in the playoffs. And the Oakland A's tried it in the wild card game and were miserable and threw a pitcher that I hadn't even heard of, Liam Hendricks. And uh, he gave up a two-run homer in the first inning, and the Yankees win, and they move on to the next round. The, the Brewers actually did that. They had a, uh, a bullpen game for their first game of the division series. They actually won that game. What Do you think this is going to be something that's going to continue and more teams are going to do it? I know Tampa did it a lot this year, uh, but I didn't think it would happen in the postseason. Yeah, it wasn't quite the bullpen game that, that other teams have done it, you know, have, have done it with because he pitched three innings. Um, even Council mentioned Severino, I think it was, on the Yankees pitched right. four in the wild card game, and that wasn't planned. They had just pulled him after four. I guess it, it gets more of a spotlight because this was kind of planned. He was going to go short. Right. So I'm going to say no. Now, what is interesting is that you know normally you would think the wild card team might have to come back and and you know patch together a starting situation sure. because they have to play two days later. But it was Milwaukee that started Brandon Woodruff, who was a reliever all year, even though they were off since well Monday instead of Sunday because they did have to play 163 with Shasin. So maybe that was the difference, but. It is a little unusual not to have some stud go in game one. But then again, other than maybe Shasin, the Brewers don't have a stud starter. They have stud relievers. They've done it a different way. Um, and that's maybe even a more interesting question. Will teams in general maybe make their a couple of their best uh, pitchers middle relievers right. that, can, that can come in in multiple games in a week that you think you're going to win and lock it down? See, if you're, it, it, that way they can rest in between on the losses, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's real interesting 
how the Milwaukee Brewers have done it. Now, I don't think teams are going to take a stud minor league starter and turn him into a reliever. But if, they hear, if there's a, even a sliver of a reason why this guy can't be a seven-inning pitcher, but we can put him in three games, two innings you know, every week, they might go in that direction. You know, they might take the Josh Hader thing and go in that direction. But it also takes more than Hader. You need guys behind Hader. Because if you, if you keep losing the games Hader pitches in, then you're wasting it, and then he's, he's down for the next day. So are there are some negatives to it as well, Fred. But I don't think we're going to see bullpenning in the playoffs very often, maybe once in a blue moon. And, and Council even said it wasn't really a true bullpen game. The guy went three innings. What was interesting was, he was pitching a no-hitter, and he got pinch hit for it in the bottom of the third inning. Yeah. Brandon Woodruff. So, I mean, it tells you they had no, no, uh, you know, no plan to leave him in there, no matter how he was doing. Uh, and he pitched three shutout no-hit innings. So um, I don't think it's the wave of the future in the playoffs, no. Do you think it's wave of the future regular season? Do you think you'll see a lot of teams who maybe have three starters and then say, you know what, we're, just, we're not going to worry about finding another starter or because our other starters aren't good, we're just going to go with bullpen games? And strengthen their bullpen. I think for non-contending teams, I think it could happen. Build, you know, rebuilding teams that just you know, the last thing on their mind is their fifth starter because right. they're trying to play young guys. I think it's possible. Yes, I don't think contending teams can do it very often. I mean, I guess you could do it in September. That's the one thing. Right. But I think with the shorter rosters, whether it be the playoffs or April to to, to September, I just think it would mess with your bullpen too much for contending teams. Um, I, I haven't played it all out. Maybe it's possible, but I think Joe's probably right. He's talked about this. If, if you, if you, you know, a team with a payroll, you should be able to find five starters and not mix and match that fifth guy. But if you're some team under the, you know, that's not really paying anybody and you're trying to rebuild, sure, you could do it. You could do it every fifth time through, or, or you could do it once a month, whatever. You could do it because uh, it really doesn't matter, right? You're rebuilding yeah. in the first place. Okay, speaking of a team with a payroll, you got to walk me right into this one. Uh, yeah. you, you've got the Cubs have you, Darvish. The Cubs have Tyler Chatwood for two more years. The Cubs have Jason Hayward for a few more years. Can, can the Cubs, I mean, no, they, I know they can. Will the Cubs go on out and get, go after Machado and or uh, Bryce Harper and, you know, even getting rid of the other players, that's not going to help their salary because, you know, Schwarber and Almora and Happ, it's not like they get paid anything. No, uh, no so, you'd, have to, you'd have to move Hayward, and even then you'd have to eat it so it would still be money you're spending. You're right. No, I think that if they're ever going to go past the luxury tax, it would be this year. But they don't have to blow by it by $40, 50000000 million. Um, I mean, again, they're tweaking a 95-win team. Right. So they don't have to go crazy, but one huge offensive signing – which they haven't had in a few years. I mean, Hayward was a good player, but not this you know right. forty home run guy. Bryce Harper is a potential thirty-five, forty home run guy. So is Machado. So if they make one big signing or trade for a hitter, um, you you might be going past the luxury tax, but not by too much. And then you can just go back um, in a year. You know, other contracts are up or whatever yeah. you have to do. So yes, I do think they will they will spend some money, but. They're not going to revamp their roster. I don't think when they sit down and look at it, they're going to say, all right, a few guys didn't hit like they should have. How can we make up for that offense, either internally or externally? I think they should do it externally now because maybe it did get a little stale with the same position players. For a moment, that seemed like a strength. They're all together. They've been together for four years. Right. But things can get stale, so maybe it turned into a little bit of a weakness. So I think shaking it up a little bit, one, off, one real bat could make the difference in this lineup. 
And then obviously if you add someone, you might subtract one or two, and, and that changes the dynamic in the clubhouse as well, but hopefully for the better. Okay, I can, can the Brewers beat the Dodgers? That's a great question. That is a great question. I mean, it'd be stupid for me to say no. Because Brewers would have... Uh, um, Brewers, Milwaukee has home field. Right, they get home field. Yeah, they get home field, but but I don't think... You know, home field Miller Park, Dodger Stadium. I don't say that that's a big deal for the Dodgers who've been around. You know, three right. straight NLCSs. But whatever. If there's a game seven, you'd rather have it home. Uh, yes, they can beat them, but I, I I would pick the Dodgers. I'd pick okay. the Dodgers based on experience. And trust me, I've been watching Milwaukee a lot this year, and I love Milwaukee. I just saw them shut down the Rockies' offense. Granted, it was at home. We'll see what they do the next two days or or today. Just right. maybe they sweep them. I would pick the Dodgers. But I would say, man, I would not be shocked if Milwaukee won that series. Jess, I know everybody else has said nice things about you, so I won't. No, I'm kidding. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> don't, don't worry about it. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you did a great job all year long, and obviously it's a lot more fun to work into and through October. Uh, you know, hopefully it'll happen again next year. Uh, and like you said, even every time you bring up they won 95 games, it still blows your mind that they won 95 games and they're done. Yeah, it doesn't feel like they won 95 the way they finished. No. And it, it, it certainly just crashed. I mean, three of the last four games scoring one run, the most important games of the year. Um, so there's a lot of soul-searching offensively the players have to do and, and the team has to do. Uh, you know, here's the phrase Theo likes to use. Baked in the process. It, 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 did, did things come out bad because of a bad process? Was it baked in the process? Um what went on offensively? Do they have to change philosophies, change personnel, whatever? Or was it just baseball that right. they slumped at the worst time? I think it was more than just baseball because the slump really did go back to the all-star break. Yeah. It'd be one thing if they just slumped at the end. But the slump went back to the all-star break, forcing them to get Daniel Murphy. So um, it, it's more than just a, a, you know, a, a, a short thing. This is something they got to look at. I think they realize it's a bigger deal. Jazz, enjoy the rest of your day. We'll talk to you soon, but not too soon, okay? You got it, Fred. Enjoyed talking baseball with you all, all season as well. Take Sounds care. Sounds good. Thank you very much. Jesse Rogers talking, uh, putting a capper on uh, the Cubs. We come back. We'll talk about the playoff games, the ones that were played yesterday, what's coming up later on today, some football talk the entire 11 o'clock hour. We'll get some inactives for you, too, important ones for your fantasy teams. Fred Eupner with you till noon on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's game day, only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. And the ball driven to left center. Sousa. He's got it! He's got it! It's a no-hitter! Fred goes around the horn. It's a triple play for the Sox. Touch them all, Joe! You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Fred's baseball notebook. Ah, the playoffs are underway. Just two games yesterday, the American League games. We'll look at the uh, National League games coming up later on today. We've got them for you today, too, here on uh, ESPN 1000, if I'm not mistaken. As we have the um, we have Milwaukee and uh, Colorado coming up at around 337. Uh, Dodgers and Atlanta uh, to follow. But yesterday, it was... The Houston Astros. And you know what? They got an unbelievably nice pitching game from Garrett Cole. And uh, they got some power. They didn't need it all, but they did get some power from a guy who belted a homer in game one. He did it again in game two. The pitch. Curveball hit to left center field and well hit. Kipnis is back. He looks up. It is gone. 
a home run just to the right of the yellow line. There's a notch out there. The perfect spot for Bregman. It's 3-1 to one Astros. They have Alex Bregman with a home run. He belted one also in the first game. They also got a two-run double in the sixth inning from Marwin Gonzalez. And the Astros go up two games to none. A 3-1 to one win over the Cleveland Indians. The Astros, the home team that has won the first two games in a best-of-five postseason series, they've gone on to win the series 85.1% of the time. It is 40-7. and seven. Uh, Andrew Miller, as I mentioned, he uh, came in, did not do well for Cleveland. He faced three batters, did not record an out just the second time in his career for that. And I mentioned how Garrett Cole pitched well. Yeah, he pitched more than well. Garrett Cole, 12 strikeouts, no walks. The second most strikeouts without a walk in postseason play. Tom Seaver had 13 strikeouts and no walks in an NLCS game in 1972. And Cole talked about his outing. It means a lot. Um, You know, the season is long. You go through aches and pains with your brothers. And, um, you know, when it's all on the line, you you just want to give them a, you know, you want to perform, but, you know, you want to give them a shot to win the game. And felt like we did that tonight. Um, I'm pretty thrilled with the no walks. Um, you know, free brace runners in in uh, postseason games are are kind of tough to deal with at times. Um, you know, sometimes the walk is needed, but you know, I think it just um, you know, we were Molly's just dropping down the right signs, and we were just pounding the zone. So, pretty special day. Yeah, just think about it. Two years in a row, the Houston Astros. Last year they get Justin Verlander. This year they get Garrett Cole. Not too shabby, huh? A.J. Hinch, the manager of the Strohs on Cole's dominant outing. He's as focused. I mean, I say this about Verlander. It's like copy-paste. Like, this is as focused. He was into it. He made a mistake, and he, he learned from it with the Lindor homer. He, he was emotional. I love the emotion off the mound. You know, when he's getting big strikeout after big strikeout, this is one of the best offenses in the league. They can do damage. They can, they can put long at-bats together. He used all his pitches. He was creative. What else can I say? I mean, he was, he was awesome. He was awesome. That's what you could say. Garrett Cole, a very, very good outing. Now, Terry Francona and his Cleveland Indians, they go home and they know they got to win not one, not two, but three straight. Well, I don't think we need to look at it like that. I mean, we just need to find a way to win Monday. You know, I'm guessing that, you know, Houston will enjoy their off day more than we will. Other than that, show up on Monday and play for our baseball life. You know, nobody wants to go home, so try to keep this thing going. Boy, I love that. Play for our baseball life. And uh, and the Astros will enjoy the off day a little bit more than we will. That's good stuff from uh, Terry Francona. So the Astros are up two games to none, and they go to Cleveland for the next game. Also in the American League, after the Red Sox took the opener from the Yankees, the Yankees were playing some long ball yesterday. The 1-1. Hit in the air, left field, and more slug. Left field, and gone! Over the monster, Gary Sanchez has done it again. His sixth career homer against David Price. Yeah, massive slug in a small sample, and it continues. Swing and a high fly ball, well struck. That one on its way. Back there, and that is gone! Center field, Gary Sanchez, his second of the night. He absolutely crushed it over the monster seats just to the left of the American flag. And the Yankees 
have blasted it open. It is now 6-1. to one. That was John Chambi on the call uh, of those two home runs for Gary Sanchez. And uh, Sanchez, a two-homer, four-RBI uh, game. Second time he's done that against the Red Sox, both of them at Fenway. And uh, Chambi actually undersold the second one. I was watching the game as I liked it. I was telling Eric uh, Ostrowski, our producer, I watch a lot of games with the sound off. And I'm watching that game last night, and I'm talking to my wife, and all of a sudden I see Gary Sanchez with two men on, and I go, oh, that's bad news for the Red Sox. And she goes, what? I go, look where this ball is going to land. And you could tell as soon as he hit it, it was just a rocket out of there to uh, center field, just to the uh, left of the center field bleachers and uh, near the light standard. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, an unbelievable home run. They weren't the only home runs. Aaron Judge also belted one. As I said, the Yankees, when they hit home runs, they win. And Judge talked with Buster only after the game. Aaron, what do you feel like you guys did well against David Price early in this game to jump on him like that? You know, just try to get the pitches in the zone. You know, he's he's got quality stuff on, you know, and works both edges. Um, we are just able to attack and, you know, do damage on the ones that were, you know, kind of left out over the middle. Now, this postseason, you're crushing it, three homers already. What did you learn from last year you've taken into this year? Stick with the same approach. Nothing changes. You know, just because the postseason, nothing changes. Still the same game. So that's about it. Help us out. Describe Gary Sanchez's second home run, 479 feet. Wow, I had a good view of it at third base. I knew something special was going to happen. Um, he's been, I've been seeing his work in the cages, his work in BP. Um, he's, he's a big force, a big part of this offense, and I was you know, glad to see him you know, get those two homers for us tonight. You split the two games here. You go to Yankee Stadium. How much of a factor has that crowd become for you guys? Oh, it's a, it's a whole other ball game in the jungle. So we're excited to head back home, you know, splitting these games and looking forward to uh, Monday. Thanks. Yeah, something else that Aaron Judge was doing uh, was he was blasting New York, New York in uh, the uh, locker rooms and in the uh, underneath uh, Fenway. And uh, just blasting New York, New York. And, uh, yeah, uh, the jungle, he's calling it. And uh, I've been, I was fortunate to be at Yankee Stadium a couple years ago. Just an awesome, awesome place. I'm going to pack that place. The Game 3 winner of a best-of-five postseason series, tied at one, has gone on to win the series 74% of the time. So the importance of Game 3 cannot be overstated. Uh, that will be on Monday. Uh, Joey Cora was asked. Actually, let's go to David Price first because... David Price, it was the first time in his 299 career starts, regular season or postseason, he failed to record a strikeout. His teams fall to 0-10 in his postseason career starts. He has a 6.03 career postseason ERA as a starter, the third worst in baseball history. Price talked about that rough start. Uh, it's tough, you know, just to, um, after we won game one, you know, to go out there and and have that opportunity to uh, to go up two nothing, you know, and to to throw the baseball the way that I did, you know, it's definitely tough. But um, you know, my spirits are down, my confidence isn't down. You know, I'm um, looking forward to getting back out there and getting another opportunity. David, how surprised were you, uh, if at all, to be taken out of the game at that point or so early in the game? I Missed mean, the playoffs. You know, that's um, you see it happening all the time. You know, especially over the past couple of years. You know, managers going to uh, bullpens extremely early, and you know. If, I don't like it. I need to pitch better, period. There you go. David Price, one and two-thirds innings yesterday as they got him out of the game very quickly. Three hits, two walks, and two home runs. So uh, Alex Cora and uh, the Red Sox, they're now tied at one going to Yankee Stadium 
for the game on Monday. There is more baseball to be played later on today. I mentioned Milwaukee and uh, Colorado, the Miller Coors Series. The Brewers took the first two games of the series. It'll be Wade Miley going against Herman Marquez and uh, Council talks about the pitching plan for Game Three. It's a simple. It's we'll just read the game. I mean, we've, we've got a day off today. It it, it gives everybody a, a chance to rest. Um, you know, there's a, a bunch of guys that I I would say yes to. I, I you know I do think. On the other hand, it could look a little bit like the, the Cubs game, uh, the 163 game. You know, I feel like we're in a position you could say resembles that. Um, so we, we do have an opportunity to, to get our guys rest. Um, so we'll, but it's, it's still obviously it's, it's a chance to close out a series. So if, if we have a chance to close out a series, we're, we're going to try to close it out. The Colorado manager, Bud Black, who's Black, Bud Black, whose team has 10 hits in two games, Six runs in their last four games. Says he hopes that going home actually re-energizes the team. Today's a good off day for us, for sure. To you know, regroup a little bit. You know, get the guys off their feet. It's been a it's been a hard you know couple weeks. You know, going through the last ten days of the season. You know, having to play the Dodgers, then the Cubs, then the, then the two games in Milwaukee. But you know, our guys will will be ready to play tomorrow, and hopefully, you know, at home, front of our crowd. You know, a different a different vibe tomorrow. You know, we'll jumpstart our offense. I feel actually pretty cool. Uh, I've been to Houston. I was down there when the White Sox beat the Astros in the World Series. I've not been to Cleveland, but a lot of Cub fans have. They were there for the World Series. Miller Park, obviously, I've been to. I was at Coors Field a couple years ago with my buddies for our 60th birthdays. We saw the Sox and uh, the Rockies. And uh, so I've been to most of these places. Uh, The Dodgers are going to Atlanta. Haven't been to either of those places. And the Dodgers took the first two games out in Los Angeles. And they now have Walker Bueller going. And Buster Olney of ESPN talked about the Dodgers starting pitching. They had Ryu go in the first game and Kershaw going eight innings in the second. When you see the Dodgers and you wondered about the, the level of dominance with their starting pitching, which has been outstanding down the stretch, and that's fully manifested there. You wondered about the Brewers and whether or not they could uh, you know, survive with uh, just with so much focus on their bullpen, and they certainly have done that. With the Red Sox-Yankee game last night, so much talk about Chris Sale going into that game. Some of the Yankees met agreeing with me that at the outset of the game, what you're focused on is the, is the radar gun readings and the velocity and how will he throw because in his previous start, he averaged a career-low fastball of 90 miles per hour, and he came out last night, his first fastball, 96 miles per hour. Yeah, you know, the starters are going like five and a third in a lot of these games, except for Kershaw, who went eight innings. Walker Bueller, who went six and two-thirds against Colorado in game 163. He goes against Sean Newcomb. Newcomb came in after Fultonevich had problems uh, in game one, and Newcomb threw two scoreless innings in game one. He comes back and starts game three later on today. So we will have those games for you right here on ESPN 1000. We come back, we're getting to some football news. It is week five, the Bears are off, the Bucks are off. We'll talk about some of the games, and we've got a lot more to get into with the NFL week five. We're talking about it right here on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day, which will be on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. 
Welcome back in. Fred Huebner with you, usually on Sundays and for the rest of the year on Sundays pretty much because the Bears play most of their games, if not all the rest of their games, at noon on Sundays. Uh, we'll be here with Steve Michael McMichael breaking it down for you. The next four weeks, the Bears playing AFC East teams. They play at Miami next week, then at home against the Patriots and Tom Brady, at home against Sam Darnold and the Jets, and then in Buffalo uh, four weeks from um, today, four, five, four, uh, one, two, yeah, something like that. Five weeks, whatever. Um, so they play AFC East the next four weeks, and um, so we'll be here. I've got some inactives for you, and I got some baseball stuff to wrap up this hour real quickly. Um, guys that are out, Geronimo Allison or Geronimo Allison is out for the Packers. They got some problems with their uh, wide receivers, but Devontae Adams is playing. Uh, Devontae Parker is out. Dalvin Cook out for the Vikings. He's having a really disappointing year. He's not running the ball real well. Leonard Fournette is out. Uh, Amir Abdullah is in for Detroit. Joe Mixon is in. Charles Clay is in. Marvin Jones Jr. in for uh, Detroit. Hayden Hurst, the tight end with San Diego, is playing. So is Devontae Adams, I mentioned, and Sammy Watkins. They are in. So if we get any other ones, we will pass them along to you. A couple of uh, guys got to me on Twitter. You can always get to me at Fred underscore Hubner. Um, talking about the Cubs, he says the Cubs need one or two of the hundreds of pitchers they drafted, signed in the last five years to contribute in a major role, either in the rotation or back end of the pen. You can't keep throwing nine-figure contracts at it and have no production. I don't have any doubt about that. And the other one is this from The Verdict. says, I know that Theo likes to describe hitting principles like it's astrophysics. Let's dumb it down a little bit. Early in the count, swing as hard as you want. Watch it fly wherever it goes. With two strikes, choke up, put it in play the other way. There's the balance. It would be nice. It would be nice if they did that. It might be a change in Major League Baseball. Speaking of the Cubs and the way they hit, uh, I was going to bring this up with Jesse, and I forgot I was going to play it before him and forgot. I don't want to forget to play it because he brought up a great stat. He had a chance to talk to some of the Milwaukee and Colorado pitchers. Uh, while he was in Milwaukee covering uh, the first two games of the series. And just with a microphone off, he was talking to them about how, why they were able to be so successful pitching against the Cubs. Listen to what he said yesterday. He joined me and Murph. Uh, Murph and Freddie, Monday, I'm, I'm sorry, Monday and Friday. We just fired Cap. Murph, <laughs> Murph and Fred, Saturdays from a 9 until noon. Listen to what Jesse said about the Cubs and something that they do all too often. The chase percentage. This is huge. The Cubs really, and like any team would, really want their pitchers and hitters to dominate the strike zone, to have command of the strike zone seems like the most simple thing. For the season, for the season, this World Series contending wannabe team, chased, uh, their chase percentage was 30%. That ranked 26th in baseball. Only four teams chased outside the zone more. In the second half, guys, in the second half it went up to 31%. Only two teams chased more outside the zone as hitters. 28th in the league in the second half. As pitchers, just to use the converse you know, uh, example, in the first half, getting opponent uh, 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 opposition hitters, you know, opponents to, to chase, Cubs pitchers, last in the league. Last in the league. They couldn't get anybody to chase. In the second half, as we all know, the Cubs pitching was better. 
They got them. They were up to 17th in the league. Still not top 10 or anything, but at least they were better. So in hitting, they were basically last in the second half. In pitching, they were last in the first half. In chasing, and this was a huge thing, I think, for this team. If you start chasing, man, you are easy outs. You are easy outs, and the Cubs did it all year long, and they certainly did it in the second half. Boy, you can just pick the guys that are chasing. I know he had a tremendous year. It was almost MVP caliber. He, uh, he'll probably lose it to Christian Yelich, but Javi chases, and uh, Wilson Contreras chases, and Almora has a tendency to chase, and uh, just how high their chase percentage is. And uh, there are times when even uh, Chris Bryant, coming back from that bad shoulder, chased a little bit. So that was I thought that was an interesting stat, how bad the Cubs batters were at chasing out of the strike zone. Uh, if they let some pitches go, then you walk. Did you get a better OPS? You get a better on-base percentage. Isn't that what you're all looking for? We'll talk a lot of football when we come back. I also wanted to congratulate uh, Skeleton Key Brewing. I had a chance to stop out there yesterday, their second anniversary, and also had a chance to pick up a four-pack of their migratory, a golden ale with toasted coconut in it. It's awesome. And they had a, a Belgian triple uh, with pineapple. Uh, I bought both of those, so I got a feeling there could be some time on the couch uh, with a couple of beverages. And also, if you have Amazon Prime, Friday, I said, you know what, I'm going to start watching this Jack Ryan series based on the Tom Clancy character from his books. There's been a million, there's been like seven different people play um, Jack Ryan. There's now a series on Amazon Prime, eight episodes. I watched them all on Friday. You don't want to miss it. It's really, really good. Talking football, we come back here on ESPN 1000. See Chicago's Game Day only on ESPN 1000 at ESPNChicago.com. He was going the right way. Cohen all the way. Touchdown, Chicago. Levine, he goes right by. Stop it, Samson. Did you not get the memo? He didn't come for the massage. He came for the facial. Oh, my goodness. Chicago's Game Day. Garcia's home. Hanson scores! Sucks win! What a comeback! Trubisky escapes again, and he's got plenty of room to run. Look at him go! There's the athleticism for the rookie. Back toward the wall! It's gone! This is Chicago's Game Day, only on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Ah, welcome on in. Fred Hubner with you. Lots of football talk coming up this hour. We're going to start with some Bears, even though they're not playing, and then look at week five and take a look at some NFC North action that's going on around the National Football League. I know people hate when you say National Football League. Yeah, why do you say NFL? Sometimes, you know, you say National Football League. Major League Baseball. The National Basketball Association. That's why it doesn't get used as much. National Hockey League probably gets used more than the National Basketball Association. I don't think they use that one that much. It even sounds weird saying National Basketball Association. It sounds mouthful. Yeah, it sounds real weird. And unfortunately, after uh, Larry Markinen went down and we're going to be out six to eight weeks, it's it's not looking like the beginning of the bowl season is going to be very interesting. I know. It's it's basically Wendell Carter watch for the yeah. first yeah. month of the season. That's what it'll be. And hopefully it's not another year where we just sit and wait and see where the, the Bulls get drafted or where they draft. Um, 
The Bears are three and one after an amazing outing against the Tampa Bay Bucks, and they have their bye week before playing Miami next week. And uh, you get accolades when you have a good team. And it, it was funny because Khalil Mack did not win the Defensive Player of the Week in any of the first four weeks, but he did win the Defensive Player of the Month. Uh, Khalil Mack is the Defensive Player of the Month. It's the first time a Bear player has gotten in since 2012. When Peanut Tillman got it, the last year the team had a winning record. Um, Mack named Defensive Player of the Month with five sacks for minus 30 yards, four forced fumbles, one recovery, a pick six, four quarterback hurries, three tackles for loss, two passes defended, and 17 tackles. Not shabby. Not shabby at all. Uh, Pro Football Focus rates Khalil Mack as the number one edge defender in the game, 92.1%. Uh, on their grading, uh, just ahead of J.J. Watt, then Lorenzo Alexander, Brandon Graham, and Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett at Cleveland is really good. Um, Pro Football Focus also listing the Bears number one in another category that we may not think too much about, but special teams. Uh, the Bears number one in special teams, according to Pro Football Focus, with Carolina, Denver, the Jets, and Seattle rounding that out. Um, let me see here. And this is one that will get some of the Bears, uh, I don't know, the Bears offensive naysayers and, oh, they don't have the offense yet. There's a stat here. This was on NFL matchup. The most throws of 20 yards plus downfield. Now, it doesn't surprise you that the Kansas City Chiefs have, uh, number one, 25 attempts on balls thrown downfield, 48% completion percentage. The Texans... Um, our second with Deshaun Watson, 23 attempts, 47.8% completion. It's not bad. The Buffalo Bills, really? 23, they have a 21.7% completion. They may want to throw some shorter passes. The Browns, 23, 34.8 completion percentage. The Broncos with 22, and they're completing them at 36.4. And right there after that is the Bears. The Bears have thrown... 20 yards or more downfield, 21 times they completed 42.9, so 43% of the passes. That's not bad. That's behind just the Chiefs and the Texans for a completion percentage on balls thrown 20 uh, yards or more downfield. Now, the fewest are the Redskins with six, the Cowboys with eight, and the Titans with 10. Now, in years past, the Bears would have been one of those teams with the fewest, but they're not right now, and a lot of that had to do with the game, their big win over Tampa last week. Now, Don, Dan Graziano of ESPN did a piece the other day, and is the Bears' offense for real? says here, the Bears' offense is now as good as their defense. This is on their overreaction day, okay? If you're a Bears fan who has been waiting to see the vaunted Matt Nagy offense that lit the league on fire... Last year in Kansas City, Sunday was your day. Nagy was scheming dudes open and leaning on mismatches with speedsters Tariq Cohen and Taylor Gabriel. The Tampa Bay defense had no answers. Gabriel scored two touchdowns, including one on a nifty jet action shovel pass to the goal line. He and Cohen each had seven catches and more than 100 receiving yards as Nagy went away from the between-the-tackles running of Jordan Howard and leaned instead on the super-fast dudes he knew the Bucks defenders couldn't catch. For the first time, Trubisky looked like a quarterback worthy of the 2017 number 2 overall pick. Graziano's verdict, is this a react overreaction? He says, overreaction. 
fun without a doubt, but the Bucks came in with the game's 27th, uh, 27th in defensive DVOA. They are banged up in the secondary or averaging 34.75 points per game allowed. It's important to understand context. Bears players to whom I spoke about this game said they saw something good coming from Trubisky that they believe he has been developing the way they'd hoped he would. But no one here is assuming that is the way it's going to look every week. It takes a while to master Andy Reid's offense. Nagy brought from Kansas City. Alex Smith wasn't driving a league-leading passing attack until year five of the offense. One day of mastery doesn't mean everything is hunky-dory. What Bears fans should take from this is excitement and hope that this can be what it looks like eventually. But the defense, which, by the way, had another monster game with Khalil Mack wreaking havoc in the backfield, is what will drive the Bears' NFC North title aspirations. I'm sorry. He said NFC North title aspirations for this year at least. It's like the LeBron effect, says Bears cornerback Prince Mukamara told me in the Bears' preseason edition of Mack. He just makes everybody better. When you see greatness like that up close, it just makes everyone else want to be great that much more. So according to Dan Graziano, the Bears offense, not as good as the Bears defense yet. And I don't think many Bears fans would disagree with that. But Lewis Riddick of ESPN is a weekly contributor to the Waddle and Sylvie show. And he was very, very impressed with Mitchell Trubisky. He was very, very impressed with the Chicago Bears against Tampa. Give it a listen. He talked about Trubisky in his play last week. They'll win their division, number one. Number two, they'll wind up being a team that... I'm sorry, we got to start that again. Because he said that they'll win their division. They'll win their division, number one. Number two, they'll wind up being a team that at least will get to the divisional round in the playoffs. If you can get B performance out of him, They'll get to at least a divisional round, maybe even the NFC Championship round. I really do believe that because the defense is championship caliber. And the weaponry that they have, there's been teams who have won championships with comparable weaponry. And, and look, Taylor Gabriel, uh, Jordan Howard, I mean, these guys are studs. Trey Burton, they're studs. Allen Robinson, these are stud players that can get the job done. So he, if he can play at a B level... They'll win the division. I already think they're going to win the division anyway, barring any kind of injury. I think they're going to win the division. I think there's a new king in the NFC North. I think the other teams have some problems. I think the Vice secondary last year when I said that after the NFC Championship game, people thought that was blasphemous and I didn't know anything about football. Well, it's come to fruition. I think the Packers are very up and down, up and down, almost a team that lacks identity. Detroit, the same way. They have a very good running back that they need to feature, but they're hell-bent on trying to be a running back by committee just because that's what everyone else does. So a lot of these teams in the North aren't as strong as people think they are, and I think the Bears are going to reap the benefits because they are stronger than people thought they were. So I think I think I think optimism should be running. I don't want to say wild, but people should be very optimistic about the Bears. Well, that's Lewis Riddick, and he picks the Bears to win the NFC North right now. They're three and one. The Packers are two one and one, and the Bears have scored 111 points and allowed just 65 points in the first four games. Riddick went out. I went on to talk about how teams will now try to scheme against the Bears and Mitchell Trubisky. You always want to try and make them one dimensional. So you're going to try and really shut down the run game for sure. So once you do that, you don't have to worry so much about all the different ball handling and play action that they utilize off of the run game that gets you all out of sorts and out of whack as a defender. 
So if I'm what I'm trying, what I'm saying is the secondary people on the second level defenders have to be very, very disciplined, and you have to tell them, you have to give them very specific keys as far as what to look at. Because if you try seeing everything with what these guys are doing with all the different uh, movement and action that they have in the backfield, you get so discombobulated and so frozen and so out of whack that that's how you get huge gaps. So I think a lot of it's going to be make them one-dimensional, make it a Mitch Trubisky game to where it's a drop-back game and it's not a play-action game. Because when they get play-action going and they can use all their ball handling, that's when you're in a bind, man. That's when you've got a big problem. And uh, one more thing from uh, Lewis Riddick is he was talking about the Bears. And one thing we all talked about last year, people criticized Mitchell Trubisky. They criticized Dow Loggins for the offense. They didn't have anybody to throw to last year. They bring in Dontrell Inman. Um, they had Kevin White, and then he got hurt. They, you know, had the injury to Cameron Meredith. Um, but Riddick says they they've got weapons. No, they're definitely top half. I mean, but they have a nice a nice combination of guys. I mean, that all do different things, that all have different strengths, different weaknesses, that kind of play off of each other. And and the same thing goes for their running backs. Well, I was just talking about the primary pass catchers first, and the same thing goes for the running backs. I mean, it's a great combination between Cohen and, uh, and Howard. Yeah. But, yeah, it's a great – they complement each other perfectly. So, And that's how you want it to be built on offense. Yeah, that would be great. And, you know, I was watching um, – I want to say it's called – what's the show that Matt Bowen's on? NFL Matchup? NFL yeah, Matchup. Right. Mm-hmm. I was watching it the other day, and they were showing how – Jared Goff and the Rams get everybody spread out. And because of that, they have so much room open up. They have Todd Gurley coming off the ball and going to the right. And they have uh, Woods in motion going to the left. And it opens up the middle of the field. And there's a pass to Cooper Cup for 25 yards down the middle. And these are the kind of things that hopefully the Bears are going to have now that people are seeing that Taylor Gabriel is a weapon and Tariq Cohen is a weapon. And Trey Burton is a weapon, and Allen Robinson is a weapon. These guys can all catch the ball. They can run after the catch. That's the one. One of the wonderful things is run after the catch, and that's something Tariq Cohen does real well. Uh, Trey Burton can do it. They all can do it. Taylor Gabriel can do it. He did it with Atlanta. It's so nice to actually see the Bears find ways to get the ball into his hand, even if it's on the jet sweep. And they've done that a few times. And a little shovel pass. He scored on that last week. That's all exciting stuff. And I can't wait for the Bears game next week. Um, I'll be back here next week with Steve Michael McMichael. We'll be breaking it down. It's always kind of a sore spot when we, Steve, we talk about going down to Miami because that was the only time they lost uh, and that year. So uh, we'll, I'm sure we'll probably bring that up, Eric. We'll probably have some highlights from that game. <laughs> There was there was one or two. There was a ball, ball bouncing off someone's head into a Miami uh, Miami uh, wide receiver's hands, and uh, then he was gone. Uh, so we'll get into that just a little bit. But there's there's a lot of action going on uh, in the NFL week five of the NFL, and a lot of it has uh, the interest of the Bears because it's NFC North. The NFC North. <laughs> Yep, the NFC North in uh, both of the games from the NFC North that uh, have NFC North teams in them. Two of them are playing against each other. They're both on uh, regular over-the-air Fox 32, so you can catch them both uh, today. First of all, as I gather all my stuff here, first of all, let's talk about the first game. That makes the most sense. Talk about the first game first. 
Packers at Lions. Ah, the Packers and Lions going at it. The Packers currently a 51% chance of making the playoffs. This is according to the FPI and football. Um, what's FPI football? Football power, power index. index. I knew what that was earlier today and forgot. It's the lowest their chances have been through four weeks in the last four seasons. Aaron Rodgers have posted a uh, total QBR under 60 in five straight games. That is the longest in his career, and he's got some problems with uh, wide receivers being down, but he thinks he'll get by. Well, they're getting better. They're making plays. You know, you guys don't see the practice. You see the warm-ups, but, um, but Jay Mons are making a lot of plays in practice and improving, and, and same with EQ. Um, you know, uh, 83's been ahead of those guys for a while um, and getting more opportunities. Uh, as you saw last week with uh, Kobe being out, him kind of being first up. But, you know, I told those guys before week one, I said, you're all going to get an opportunity at some point. And when you step in, there's an expectation you're going to make the plays. So we got to keep improving the practice. You know, to be able to get out there tomorrow, as long as I don't have any setbacks in the next, uh, you know, 22 hours, I expect to be out there tomorrow and be good to, you know, give those guys some opportunities in practice to keep trying to grow together. So what is your confidence level in those guys? Again, maybe maybe Cobb and Jerome will be fine, but if they're not, you've got Devontae and three rookies. Well, I was actually talking to Nate about that uh, earlier. Uh, we went to Atlanta a couple years ago, and uh, Gmo, Trevor, and Jeff all got touchdowns. Um, so we've done that before. Um, there's just an expectation of preparedness uh, when you hit the field, and uh, you know, Dave will get those guys ready to play, and the vets will help them out. And we'll see uh, see how Randall and Gmo feel later in the week. Yeah, Geronimo Allison is out. Cobb is out. Devontae Adams is in. So kind of limits some of the guys that they'll be able to uh, throw the ball to. Uh, Clay Matthews, who hasn't gotten a uh, roughing the passer uh, penalty in a little while, says he expects a, a good dose of running from uh, the Detroit Lions. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously they brought him blunt. And you know what he's bringing on those third and short uh you know first and 10 opportunities trying to grind out some yardage uh 33 i believe he's a rookie he's been playing very well um you know you expect to get a full dose of him and then uh with 25 coming out of the backfield i mean he's more of a receiver uh than anything else very dangerous in the past game well you know one of stafford's check now guys so uh you know uh, you look at the patriots game which they played against them and they kind of dominated the time of possession by running the ball 30 plus times so uh, the way you keep an offense like Aaron and, uh, you know, our offense off the field is control the clock. So, um, you know, we, we, we probably expect, you know, a good dose of, uh, of run. But, uh, you know, if, if we live up to our end of the bargain and shut it down, then, you know, obviously Stafford's uh, made a living off, you know, throwing the ball. So probably get a full dose of that as well. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. Uh, he will be throwing the ball. Carryon Johnson is the running back that he referred to. He's averaging 3.95 yards per rush before contact this year. That's the third best among 39 players with 30-plus rushes this season. LeGarrette Blunt averaging just 0.97 yards before contact, 37th in the NFL. As for Matthew Stafford, he's 0-9 in his career when Detroit is listed as a home underdog to a division opponent. Uh, that's what it is right now. Green Bay currently a, uh, short, short one point favorite. And, um, Stafford talked about his familiarity with playing Green Bay. You know, obviously, uh, they've got a new defensive coordinator, um, this year. So for the first nine years of my career, it was Dom Capers. And, uh, I don't say it was easier, but I was more familiar with what they were, 
all about. Um, obviously, a new uh, defensive coordinator this year, so I've got you know quite a bit of learning to do um, on these guys. Um, do I know a few of their players? Uh, maybe better than some non-divisional opponents. Yes, but they've got plenty of new guys around too so, uh, to get to know and get to learn. So that should be a good one, a noon kickoff for that one. And one other game with an NFC North flavor, and that one in Philadelphia. Vikings at Eagles. Uh, this is a rematch of the 2017 NFC Championship game, but both teams would be starting different quarterbacks. Um, last time this happened was 1999. John Elway and the Broncos took on the Jets and Vinny Testaverde in the 98 AFC Championship game. It was Brian Greasy and Rick Meyer facing off when the teams met in 99. Now, one of the top players for uh, Minnesota, heck, one of the top players in the NFL is Adam Thielen. The first player to have at least 100 receiving yards in each of his first four games in a season since Randy Moss did it in 2007. So they've been throwing the ball around quite a bit for the Minnesota Vikings. And they talked a little bit, Kirk Cousins did, their quarterback, about their problems running the football. I don't think it's any one thing. I think it's a combination of factors. I think, you know, you run the ball more typically when you have a lead. You run the ball typically when, um, you know, you feel good about your matchups there. You run the ball when, um, you know, uh, guys are healthy. And, and so there's a lot of factors that affect it. But uh, uh, you also run the ball when you feel like maybe the pass game isn't your best opportunity to move the football. And I think in a lot of time, in a lot of cases we've looked at our call sheet and Coach Slips looked at it and felt like our best chance to, to win this game right now is to, you know, drop back and throw it. And, um you know, you can't do it all, so you you do what you think is best, and and um, and you know, hope that it, it'll turn into a win. Anytime you, you you know, when you drop back more, the percentage you say you're going to take more sacks, you're going to have more you know interceptions. Things are going to happen. The more you drop back, the more that stuff is bound to happen. So you know, anytime you can just line up and and run the football, it's certainly preferred because it's much lower risk, much um, safer of a of a play call. Uh, but you know. Very, very rarely in the NFL can you just line up and run the ball. So you, you, you do what you can to be explosive, and from week to week that may change. Yeah, their top running back, Dalvin Cook, is out. So um, it'll be um, Murray running the ball, I think, for them. And uh, they do not run the ball very often. A league low 63 rushing yards per game. They run the ball by design on 23% of their offensive plays. That's the lowest in the NFL. Kirk Cousins, 1,387 passing yards, third most in the NFL, and the most through the first four games of a season in Vikings history. Now, a lot of that obviously goes to Adam Thielen, 473 receiving yards, the second most in the NFL behind only Julio Jones. And uh, on the other side, they know that they're going to uh, have a lot to worry about with the offense of the Philadelphia Eagles and uh, Coach Zimmer of the uh, Minnesota Vikings says, uh, hey, that Alshon Jeffrey's a tough matchup. Well, he's always been tough to defend. You know, he's got great size, hands, goes up and catches a ball in a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, you know, I'm not ranking guys, but he, he's a really good player. Where, where does uh, or sort of what, what are the challenges that Hurts presents at as a matchup at tight end, especially you know, relative to other guys you face. Yeah, Ertz is really good. I mean, he's sneaky, um, catches the ball well, runs great routes. Um, 
you know, Dallas Goddard, they've been using him a lot. You know, sometimes they're using three tight ends. So, um, but yeah, it's a tough matchup. Yeah, speaking of uh, Zach Ertz, he leads all tight ends this season in targets and receptions, but has yet to find the end zone. Carson Wentz targets the tight ends. 41% of his attempts, the highest rate among uh, quarterbacks. The Eagles allowing a league low 63.8 rushing yards. They limit opponents to 1.76 yards before contact per rush, the second fewest to the Dolphins. The Eagles find themselves 2-2, two and two, and Doug Peterson says you can't get worried yet. You know, obviously, you know, when, you, when you sit back and you look and you get time these last couple of days to evaluate kind of where we are, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the sky's not falling. Uh, the sun came up today. We're 2-2. Two and two. We're still in good position, control our own destiny, a lot of football ahead of us, and, and there's no panic. And they have scored fewer than 24 points in each of their first four games for the first time since 98. This comes a year after they scored 24-plus points in 12 games last year, tied for the most such games in the NFL. Carson Wentz led the Eagles to a win in his only previous meeting with the Vikings, Week 7 of 2016, when he posted the lowest total QBR of his career in that game. Wentz threw two interceptions in the first quarter. It's the only game in his career that he fumbled three times, and uh, Doug Peterson said the offense needs to show a little bit of urgency out there. Our guys understand uh, the type of team we have, where they are, um, you know, after a month of the season, and and it's more than just saying that there's a sense of urgency. I think we got to produce it and we got to show it, obviously, um, the way we start football games. Um, I think offensively uh, our guys understand that we haven't been the best. One of our strengths has been over, you know, especially last year, possibly the year before, was scoring, you know, on opening drives or at least in that first quarter and that's something we got to get back to. Yeah, we'll see if they do. That comes up later on today that a game is on Fox. It is a uh, 325 start. Also, uh, later on tonight, Redskins and the Saints. We'll talk more about that game. I'm sorry, that's tomorrow. Uh, the game later on tonight, Cowboys at the Texans. A um, couple other really big games. We'll talk about those in just a little bit after the bottom of the hour. But there was an interesting stat. At least I thought it was interesting. That's why I printed it up. Um, quarterbacks out of pace to break franchise record. Ten quarterbacks are on pace to break their franchise single-season passing record. Four are on pace to break Peyton Manning's single-season passing records. And those quarterbacks are Ben Roethlisberger, Jared Goff, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, Ryan Fitzpatrick, which isn't going to happen now that he's been replaced, Matt Ryan, Joe Flacco, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and Andy Dalton. Amazing. Ten quarterbacks about to, you know, on a pace to break their franchises passing yards records. We'll talk more about that. When we come back. We'll also talk about one of the reasons, uh, this is happening with so much offense from the quarterbacks. We'll discuss that. Richard Sherman had some things to say. The former Seattle Seahawk, now a San Francisco 49er. We'll discuss that and much more. When we come back. Fred Hupner with you till the top of the hour on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Eubner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. It's week five of the NFL season. The Bears, they get the bye. They get to sit wherever they plan on sitting around this great country of ours, and they'll get back to uh, Hallis Hall tomorrow. Report up to Hallis Hall, get ready for the Miami Dolphins. Miami Dolphins uh, are at Cincinnati. That's a weird game. The Dolphins and Bengals both committed three and one. 
Nobody would have bet that in week five, those two teams would be a three and one each. There's no way that they would have. And they're both they're three and one against the spread, too, which I just happened to see. No one would have ever picked that. Not a chance. Uh, I got some other football notes here for you as we gear up to the top of the hour. And among them, we saw the other day when Tom Brady and the New England Patriots took care of the Colts on Thursday night football. Tom Brady reaching his uh, 500 touchdown pass. I just think of all the people that you know have really worked hard, and you know, quarterback doesn't throw him to himself. He needs people to catch him and block, and defenses make plays, and coaches the coach, and these are all you know great team awards. So pretty cool. Teddy Bruschi, who played with the Patriots on the other side of the ball, talked about the uh, situation. Back in 2008 or nine, that a quarterback's going to go into his 40s and still win the MVP, you know, play like he did against the Eagles in the Super Bowl, throw 500 touchdown passes. It's just, it's rare. I mean, do you, even when Tom started his very first year, did we think that, oh yeah, this is it. This is a Hall of Fame quarterback. This is a guy that's going to lead us to Super Bowl championships. No, we didn't think that. It was only until maybe his second or third year that you know you you see moments of his like in the in the Carolina Super Bowl when he just starts taking over or until 07 when he has that that uh, 50 touchdown season that you know you knew that Tom Brady had turned into Tom Brady yeah there's another quarterback that's going to be setting some records Drew Brees enters Monday night's game with 71,740 career passing yards that's just 201 yards shy of breaking Peyton Manning's all-time record of 71,940 Brees would be the 10th different player to hold the all-time passing records yards records uh, since official stats were first kept in 1932. And, uh, you know, you look at it, Breeze talked about approaching this kind of record. Never would have dreamed, but just extremely grateful, thankful, obviously, for the opportunity to be here and just excited about the opportunity that we have as a team for, for this year, this season, this game. I mean, listen, when, I think when it's all said and done, I think it just uh, it speaks to the longevity. If anything, and it says a lot about the the teams I've been on, the, the coaches I've had a chance to play with, and the, and the teammates, the players. I mean, everybody has a hand in this, and and I hope I hope they know that. Yeah, I think uh, they do. Everybody does, and uh, he uses everybody on that offense. Heck, even Cameron Meredith, who I talked about last segment, uh, caught a touchdown pass from uh, Drew Brees already this year. He's got a lot of weapons, and uh, see how they go as they continue through the season. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. is always a guy that's in the news, and uh, he talked the other day about um, all the high-scoring offense and being in New York and things like that. Uh, Teddy Bruschi commented on what uh, Beckham had to say. It's so much harder in an NFL locker room to establish that type of chemistry because, hey, man, let's go hang out and grab a couple beers, man. Oh, dude, I got a newborn at home. I got to go home. I've been married like three years, and my wife hasn't seen me all week. I want to get there. So it's different because it's it's more difficult to develop that camaraderie. Is it still possible? Do guys still get together that have the families and get families together? It's a lot different dynamic than you are in college. It's not as reckless. It's not as let's go hang out and and do things. It's it's just different. Yeah, it's very very different, and uh, a lot of it, unfortunately. Uh you know, guys take off and don't hang with each other. It used to be a long time ago, quarterbacks would take out their offensive lines on Thursday, take them out to dinner. Don't know if that still happens, if it's something that still gets done around the National 
Football League. Uh, some other things to look at here in Real week. quick, Fred. Yeah. Uh, so th- that comment Beckham was asked about, like, how the locker room is. And uh-huh. he says that, like, we're just jointed. We're not friends like it used to be. So that made news earlier in the week. Today, a bunch of news is coming out. He did a sit-down interview with Josina Anderson. Yeah. And the quotes, like, he was asked about what's the, going on with the offense. He just goes, I don't know. Like I said, I feel like he's not going to get out of the pocket. He's not. We know Eli's not running, but it's a matter of timing issues. He can still throw it, yeah, but it's pretty safe. I'm sick of having to catch the ball shallow and trying to take it to the house. But I'm, you know, I want to go over the, I don't want to go over the top of somebody. Oh. And then later he was asked if he's happy in New York, and he says, that's a hard question to answer. I hate the cold, though. He just got paid real big by them. Yeah. That's... Well, you know what? You get what you pay for. And, yeah, none uh, of that's surprising. No. Exactly. And they're going to get Odell Beckham. There's a really good game coming up today, too. Uh, there's a bunch of them. But the, I mentioned the Dolphins and the Bengals. And who would have thought both teams go in 3-1? The Jaguars are at the Chiefs. That is a noon kickoff on uh, Channel 2 CBS. Uh, the Jaguars are 3-1. and one. The Chiefs are 4-0. and oh. Patrick Mahomes facing his toughest test in the battle of strength versus strength against the Jaguars. The Chiefs have the number one scoring offense, 36.3 points per game. The Jaguars have the number one scoring defense, 14 uh, points per game allowed. Uh, Patrick Mahomes leads the NFL with 14 touchdown passes, tied for the second most through the team's first four games of a season in the NFL history. Jaguars have allowed three passing touchdowns this year, tied for the fewest. Now, there's a little bit of an interesting back and forth in this one because Tariq Hill is a guy that, uh, you know, people are saying, that, you know, Tariq Hill, hey, welcome to... Uh, Tariq Cohen. That's where we want the Bears, uh, Tariq Cohen to be the Tariq Hill for the Bears and they're in the offense that, uh, Matt Nagy brought over here. And Tariq Cohen talks about going on out and facing a guy the caliber of uh, Jalen Ramsey at cornerback. Can't wait. Uh, it's going to be fun. Um, this is by far the best defense, um, we have faced. So I'm always up for a challenge, man. The best always go up. The best always go. The best always go against the best. So we always ready, man. We got the best offense going against the best defense, the fastest defense, the fastest offense, man. So it's going to be crazy. Plays made everywhere. You talked about the Jags defense. One guy in right. particular, Jalen Ramsey. Just you're going to find yourself matched up him, right. him on time. Just what do you see from him as a player? I mean, he's a great player. I mean, obviously, uh, he thinks. Uh, obviously, uh, he thinks high of. Uh, of uh, of uh of uh himself so he's all right i guess you know i mean i can't wait to line up against him and i i hope he i hope uh he presses me he's a great player you know um and i'm always up for a challenge you know um to get my name out there more i need to go up against more talent like him you know what i'm saying i'm not uh calling no um not calling chris harris or nobody else bad but i mean he is the top dog right now so I can't wait. Now, at least Tariq Hill called uh, Jalen Ramsey the top dog. But, you know, he also did say that Jalen Ramsey thinks very highly of himself. And uh, Ramsey was asked about facing Tariq Hill. I don't like how, uh, you know, whoever has made it a matchup, me against Tariq. Um, he's good for what he does for their team. Uh, you know, he may all pro as a return specialist let's get that right as a return specialist uh his rookie year he went to two pro bowls as a return specialist return specialist um two years i i made all pro in my position as a corner uh went to the pro bowl as a corner um so it's not a wide receiver versus corner matchup 
um, so we can get that out of the way off off bat. Yeah, I think that's one you really want to keep an eye on. Uh, Tariq Hill and the Chiefs uh, going up against Jalen Ramsey and that Jacksonville defense. Uh, that should be a good game. Uh, like I said, Jags are three and one. The Chiefs are four and zero. Oh. Um, we'll see what they can do and uh, what they can do about trying to slow down. Uh, the passing of Patrick Mahomes, who's been absolutely unbelievable so far. The 4-0 Rams and the 4-0 Chiefs are the last remaining unbeaten teams this season, but being the last unbeaten doesn't mean a Super Bowl is in the books. Listen to this. Since 2000, the 2006 Colts, who started 9-0, are the only team to win the Super Bowl after being the last unbeaten team. Unfortunately, we know who the Colts beat in the Super Bowl. Uh, seven teams lost the Super Bowl in that time after being the last unbeaten team. So we will keep an eye on that. Okay. Also, Falcons and the Steelers. I mentioned how you would never have thought the Dolphins and the Bengals would both go in 3-1. and one. You would have never thought that the Falcons and the Steelers would go in with their records. Atlanta is 1-3. The Steelers are 1-2-1. One, Based on the football power index chances, the preseason chances, the Falcons and Steelers had a 1.7% chance of meeting in week five with one or fewer wins each. The Steelers have seen their postseason chances dip from 78% in the preseason to 23% now. Falcons have gone from 58% to 30%, the two biggest drops in the football power index playoff chances from a preseason. A loss Sunday would dip the Steelers to 15% and the Falcons to 23%. That's amazing. Those teams are scoring. The scoring of the Atlanta Falcons has been unbelievable. They have not been able to win games. It's so amazing. And speaking of scoring, okay, as Tom Waddle just walked by, speaking of scoring, um, the over-unders have just been astronomical this year. And I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Odds makers continue to adjust to the new NFL rules that lend to more scoring. Books don't like to overreact to trends, that small samplings, but the propensity in which teams are scoring these days, hard to ignore when setting the totals. According to the Bet DSI Sportsbook, okay, listen to this. These are the average totals by week in the NFL. Week one, 44.69. Week two, 45.06. Week three, 46.22. Week four, 46.90. See how they're going up each and every week? Week five, 47.63. And each of those weeks, the total was uh, achieved except for week three. Now, since 2003, there have been 13 games with closing totals of 57 points or more. Games with totals of 57.5 or higher since 2003 are 9-0. and Towards the over, the Chiefs are at the Steelers this week, and it's 57 and a half. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Chiefs, Steelers. Huh. I just said Falcon Steelers, it should be, not Chiefs Steelers. Right. Yeah. Still, two I know. extremely high-powered offenses. Yeah, ridiculously high, uh, how high-powered. It's uh, the Steelers are three-and-a-half-point pick, but the and the total is 57 and a half for that game. That's crazy. There's more stats on that, and you got to hear from Richard Sherman, his way of trying to make it so um, 
it's not as easy for the quarterbacks to continue to throw the ball all over the field. We'll get to that as we wrap things up. Fred Huebner with you till the top of the hour on ESPN 1000. Chicago's Game Day with Fred Huebner on ESPN 1000 and ESPNChicago.com. Welcome back in. We had a lot of stuff to talk about today. Jesse joined us, giving his final look at uh, what happened with the Cubs. We heard from Theo Epstein from his press conference earlier this week. As he talked about it, we took a lot of phone calls talking about the Cubs. Baseball playoffs are uh, in full swing with two more games today. We've got them for you later on today. Uh, the Brewers and the Rockies, around 337, I think, of the first pitch. And then uh, Dodgers go at it later on tonight against Atlanta. The Braves looking to score their first run. Don't forget, we got Broncos and Jets right here for you on ESPN. Top of the hour when I get done. Uh, Sam Darnold at home. See how he does against the uh, Denver Broncos. Everyone's scoring points. And Richard Sherman, the former cornerback for the Seattle Seahawks, now cornerback for the San Francisco 49ers, talks about all the rule tweaks, and he says it's making quarterbacks unstoppable, and he's got an idea of a way to help out. This is what the league wanted, though. You know, they want record passing numbers. You know, you got an average quarterback. The average quarterback is passer rating. It's like 92. And and that used to be Hall of Fame numbers, but now, you know, it's not Hall of Fame numbers. That's the average quarterback because you can't touch him. You can't tackle him. You can't hit him high. You can't hit him low. You, you can't knock him down to the ground hard if you push him too bad. You know, all that's a penalty. You can't hit a receiver high. You can't hit him low. You can't push him. You can't, you, you can barely press him. You know, it's, it's making it really difficult on teams to, to combat it because it's, it, every rule in, in the book is designed to make sure you don't get them stopped. You know, it, whether it's the, the, the roughing, you know, illegal contact, um, I mean, the roughing is the is the biggest one right now, but most of the tackling rules have changed. You know, they're just trying to make it impossible for guys to play defense, and you know, it is what it is. Now, you can you can block a corner at the line of scrimmage, but you can't put your hands on a receiver past five yards. It's it's, it's an interesting it's an interesting league we play in. You know, is it like kind of trending towards more seven on seven? I mean, down the road. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what it is now. Because I mean, even if, if a guy gets to the quarterback, they're going to. If it's third down, it's going to be automatic first down because more than likely they're going to call roughing the passer. Even if it's a clean hit, a legal hit, they're they're going to find a way to extend the drive even if a defense is effective. So, um, you know, like I said, my suggestion was to put flags on the quarterbacks. You know, if you if you don't want them touch, you don't want to get them knocked down. I mean, these these DNs and, and D tackles and linebackers have long arms, so they'll be able to snatch they'll be able to snatch these flags off without even touching this guy half time. So, you know, whenever they're ready to move to that, I'm sure defenses will appreciate it. I'm not surprised that if they would do it. I swear to God, if they want to protect the quarterback so much, it would not be surprising to me if, in fact, they would do something like that in the future. There was one other thing that happened last week. Um, Earl Thomas had wanted a new contract. Earl Thomas was in the fifth year of a five-year deal, uh, $44 million. He wanted a new deal. He didn't go into camp until, you know, right off the bat. He finally did come in, but not happy. He wanted to get a new deal, an extension, because this is the final year of his contract. Um, and then he got hurt last week. Fractured fibula, he's out for the year. And as he's leaving on the, the cart, he's actually flipping off. It looked like he was flipping off the team. Uh, because now it's going to be very difficult for him to get a new deal. Now, a lot of people, like Ryan Clark from ESPN, says, um, 
basically he understands Thomas and he understands why Le'Veon Bell is doing what he's doing. He enters free agency having missed the rest of the season from game four on. And we know the way teams like to use that. Oh, you're getting up in age. You're coming off of a broken leg or a fractured leg. We can't give you this amount of years. We can't give you this much up front, which is the reason Earl Thomas was asking for his deal to be done, for his deal to be extended because he knew the work he'd put in. He knew that he was prepared to play this season and seasons going forward. He was like, so give me what I'm worth. Give me what I've earned. Well, right now, uh, he's going to have a hard time getting any more. He had a five-year deal for $44 million. They're living up to their deal. They're paying him the fifth year. The league does not owe him anything else. At the end of the day, the league doesn't owe him anything. They pay him for what he's doing. And I know a lot of people out there are going to be critical saying, listen, the owners can tear up the contract anytime they want to. Listen, the players agreed to that. The players agreed to that. So the players have no one to be mad about, but they're people. So uh, thanks a lot for listening all day long. Lots of football, lots of baseball. Be back next week with Mongo. Thanks to Eric Ostrowski for all of his help here on ESPN 1000.